for CNN, and CNN was huge. CNN is the news. CNN is a gigantic corporation. They have a big building, a whole deal, giant sign. They didn't understand that this podcast is 10 times larger than them, and it was exposed during that whole thing, where they just made this terrible chess move. They just ran out in the middle with their king. That's how I found myself in the middle of all this. That's how I found myself having conversations with Peter McCullough and Robert Malone and a lot of other people, a lot of very intelligent people that weren't crazy. They weren't tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists or QAnon believers. They were just intelligent people that had looked at all the data and it said, I think we're being scraping together all the news and information you need. It's engaging at the top and bottom of the hour. Today's news talk radio. TNT has joined the growing list of companies halting advertising on X, a decision influenced by recent controversies surrounding Elon Musk. Mediaite reports the following allegations of hate speech and anti-Semitism across the platform. The Washington Post has become the latest advertisers to pull its ads from X, formerly known as Twitter. This decision comes in the wake of a series of controversies linked to Elon Musk, the owner of the platform. There are growing concerns among many major advertisers about the direction of the platform under Musk's leadership. The pause in advertising is a reaction to Musk's recent actions and posts, which have included sharing a meme that endorses the Pizzagate conspiracy theory, a move that has been widely criticized. The controversy escalated when Musk deleted the tweet, but the damage was already done. With major advertisers rethinking their association with the platform, a continuation of an ongoing trend. Notably, the continued loss of advertisers indicated that Musk's attempt at damage control, which includes suing media matters and visiting Israel, had not yet proven effective. Pakistani police have arrested four people, including a man who killed his teenage daughter on instructions from family elders because she had appeared in a picture on social media. Police said the 18-year-old woman was shot dead by her father last week in the northwestern Kolaipalas Valley near the Afghan border after her relatives advised him to do so. The relatives also called for a so-called honor killing of the woman's friend who appeared with her in the picture, but she had been rescued by the police. The father and three relatives have been arrested and produced before a court as more arrests are pending. Public images of women are considered taboo in tribal areas. A magnitude 5.1 earthquake struck near the eastern Caribbean island of Barbados on Tuesday. No immediate damage was reported. The quake occurred some 50 kilometers south-southwest of the capital of Bridgetown at a depth of 39 kilometers, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. According to Barbados Meteorological Services, there was no risk of a tsunami. The New Zealand government will abolish the former Labour government's 30% prisoner reduction target. Prime Minister Christopher Luxon who's formed a tri-party agreement with the Libertarian Act Party and New Zealand First, held his first cabinet meeting on November 28th. The deal with Act specifies the government will abolish the previous Labour government's prisoner reduction target. Labour had a target to reduce the prison population by 30% by 2033 via changes to sentencing, which it had already achieved prior to the October election. Imprisonment rates in New Zealand fell 30% from 213 people per 100,000 people in 2018, to 149 people in 2023. Alina Haba, the legal spokeswoman for Donald Trump, gave an update to the former president's New York civil fraud trial on the evening edit. Before the trial began, he is a, a political judge. He's been elected. He's a Democrat. We know that. But he was particularly interested in you keeping that information about his clerk secret. Why? Yes. 
Yes, according to him, there were threats. Well, I'd like him to meet the world that we are in right now. And the reason there are threats and the reason there is polarization of anybody who takes political stances is because that is what the Biden administration, that is what we live in right now, wokeness and polarization. And that's exactly what President Trump wants to get rid of. When you see what happened with this law clerk, there is no place for that when you go to, to a, into, a, into a judge, into a clerk's office. They are supposed to be arbiters that follow the judicial ethics conduct rules. They did not follow them. There are canons. They were broken. And everyone is ignoring it. The judge would not even read our mistrial papers. He wouldn't even address them. He said, I won't sign the order because then I could appeal it. That is how corrupt we're dealing well, with. Well, now you're free to talk. I'm free to you're talk. You're free to get all this out there. Do you yeah. think that, that the American people have won so far in what they have? You only have five seconds for this. I don't know that the American people have won. I think that we need to win in 24 to get the Americans back. Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So if you're traveling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. One, check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. Two, think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighborhood safer place. Three, it's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, Park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire, and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. Wow, that's um, that's scary. A scary thought, isn't it? Being caught in a bushfire like that. Turn, turn the car towards the fire. Ah, turn it off, turn it towards the fire and put something over you and, oh, gosh, oh, scary stuff. We hope that never happens. Uh, okay, we it has uh, just gone five o'clock, seven minutes past five, and uh, weather is next, if I can find it. We're having a great deal of difficulty getting weather from both MetService and the latest forecast also from um, Philip Duncan, who's um, over at weatherwatch.co.nz. Anyway, we'll, we'll keep trying. From beanies to carry bags, and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Okay, well, as far as weather goes, we have no weather from Weather Watch, uh, and not for today anyway. We've got yesterday, so I suppose we could make it, have a look at it. Uh, the national news, what have we got? Wet, well, it's going to be a wet weekend for the west in New Zealand as the low moves in and then falls apart. New Zealand is on the outer edge of the high pressure of the uh, of a few more days, allowing uh, what is that? Uh, allowing a low from Australia to oh gosh, and I can't get in, so we don't have any weather. That's all right. Should we make it up? Well, it's dark. <laughs> it's dark. Yes, it's dark, and it looks as though it could be cloudy, or perhaps not. Uh, there's no moon. No moon at the moment. Not where I am, anyway. Unless it's on the other side of the property. Uh, can't see the other side of the hill or something. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, we'll go back to Thursday and see what they say. What did they say about Thursday? Because I think they look ahead, don't they? Warmest up on North Island. Mm. Warmest up on North Island temperatures recorded. Uh, temperatures are the warmest today in the upper North Island. That was yesterday. Oh, gosh. This is hopeless, isn't it? Uh, no news. No national. Let's try that again. National news and just see if they've updated. Normally they do that on Thursday night. So here we are Friday. 
Right, and we've got nothing. National news forecast, here we go. Um, well, we'll try this, let me try this. Gosh, time's ticking away. So we've got this weak high pressure and it lies over the country today, that was yesterday. <laughs> Within the, the high pressure we've got a few heat lows, which I'd never heard of before, heat lows. And that's over both islands and it's indicating summer is on the way. For Northland, Auckland, Waikato, the Bay of Plenty, morning cloud breaks, mostly sunny. Uh, a chance of isolated shower hanging about the eastern Bay of Plenty today. That was yesterday. So <laughs> hopeless, really, isn't it? Should we just forget weather? Yeah. Let's just forget weather and we'll come back and see what's happening. It's all climate change. Everything's, everything's all about climate change. Uh, we'll see what happens. Israel has never, not one time in history, initiated any conflict. Every single one of those things that you're pointing to is a retaliatory attack by a terrorist organization. But if that was switched, where I, Israel, you, Hamas, in Gaza, I take all of my arms and all of my protection and I laid them down, what would Hamas do? They'd kill every single one. That's what they do. That's, that's what they're sworn to do. That's their motto and the origin of their existence. All the way back to the Grand Mufti traveling to Hitler to ask, how do we solve the Jewish problem? Like, you want to follow Hamas? to the Muslim Brotherhood, all the way back to the Grand Mufti, the Mujahideen, and you see the origins of like one thing, which is how do I solve the Jewish problem, is to eradicate and kill them. That is what Hamas came from. Not the Palestinians, not those poor people stuck in Gaza. If all of Hamas just went away, we would have peace. Yeah, there you go. Okay, we're over at Radio New Zealand, and uh, we're looking at the top stories there. Kinetic sculpture represents Northland's efforts to protect environment. According to the artist, I think his name is Booth, a controversial climate change-themed public works, 13 years in the making, is due to be completed in Kerikeri this week. And uh, boy, oh boy, a lot of people don't like it, and it looks an ugly thing. Anyway, it's got some sort of cheap-looking bird up on top. Um, Chris Booth, he's the, um, the artist. Uh, it's a controversial climate change themed public works and it's put to, it's called The Breath of the World by Chris Booth and Tom Heehe that comprises 120 boulders suspended from a 15 metre high pole capped by a bird a bird's head that's actually like a double headed bird uh, there and the final part of the work is a stone and it's signed by Heehe that's the other, is that the other fellow, is it? Uh, welcoming visitors to Kerikeri Keri in Maori. So how would visitors know what that even meant <laughs> if it's in Maori? Oh, you dickheads. Really is a problem, isn't it? Installed on Thursday. That was yesterday. Unveiled early Friday morning. Unless it was last week. Anyway, it's cost half a million dollars. And guess where they got the money from? They got it from the COVID-19 response. And where did that come from? came from you and me, for us workers. came from the workers, so they just waste our money, don't they? Uh, the local Hapu Nati Rihia, it f- was funded by a grant from the COVID-19 response, see, the recovery fund of 2020, along with a raft of other projects around the Northland, but they haven't mentioned what they are. They'll all be money coming from the workers. That's where it all comes from. Booth is an environmental artist who's built in large-scale artworks around the world. He, well, he has. Um, he said that it was the most most trying project. That's because everyone was, you know, as soon as they got the scaffolding up, they were booing him. <laughs> Throwing tomatoes at him. Because uh, it just doesn't represent people living in, Kiri, in uh, Kirikiri, that's why. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, so they had quite a few, they had they had quite a bit of people, you know, kids, uh, probably kids, you know, drunken youth, probably. Um, who, who knows? But they, um, they had a lot of uh, vandalism. They call it vandalism. 
Or, you know, it depends if you're on the other side. They'd probably just say, you know, protesters, wouldn't they? So that's that. So that's Kerry Kerry. Kerry Kerry's a beautiful place. Um, Auckland City Council, they're looking to move to fortnightly rubbish collections. Oh, you can imagine that, can't you? <laughs> well, you better give them bigger bins if you want fortnightly rubbish collections. I mean, that's just that is ridiculous. I don't know why Brown would even have that on the list. Councillors fear the city's curbside rubbish collection could be reduced from a weekly to an inconvenient fortnightly service. Well, it's good that they're fearing it. Kerry Allen's back in the news. She's the former Justice Minister. Uh, she has pleaded not guilty. Can you believe that Tart has pleaded not guilty over some minor thing? Um, we'll have a, just have a quick look at that. So, Kerry Allen, former Justice Minister, says that she pleaded not guilty to a charge of failing to accompany a police officer on the basis that she did not have access to a lawyer. <laughs> what, at three o'clock in the morning? That's just ridiculous. And they've got some friendly lawyers which are saying, well, it is a grey area. Alan faces the charges of refusing to accompany an officer. Just go with the officer, you stupid woman. Why didn't you do that? Well, you're drunk, that's why. Uh, um, refusing, and she's probably high on drugs. Uh, probably, and it's definitely if she's, got, if she's had mental health issues all her adult life, as she's uh, said, uh, then she was probably on psychiatric drugs uh, mixed with alcohol. Not a very good mix. Uh, so she's facing a raft of charges. Uh, one of them is refusing to accompany a police officer and careless driving after crashing her electric car, which we pay for. Uh, earlier this year, Platt crashed it into another parked car. <laughs> Statement posted on Alan's Instagram page said that she requested to speak to a lawyer both immediately before. And, you, and the other thing that the, the media has forgotten to tell us here is that she actually ran away from the scene. And the police had to use tracker dogs to sniff her out. <laughs> so, you know, anyway, police did not allow her and uh, the charge results from her unwillingness to accompany the police without the ability to speak to a lawyer. Well, how, how would you? You ran away from the scene. You know, you're basically a suspect. Um, chuck you in the car, take you down station, and then you can make your call. Um, but first of all, you've got to be detained, don't you? The issue here is that such a fundamental legal right sits in a grey area. Oh, I can't imagine. According to several uh, friendly, probably Radio New Zealand friendly and you know, Kerry Allen friendly lawyers, senior lawyers apparently, uh, in New Zealand, from both the defence and the prosecution perspective, they have not been able to provide an, a, uh, a unified view on, on this whole thing. The statement said all agreed that the law was currently uncertain. I'll just make a change. You could do that today. They could do that today in Parliament, couldn't they? Just sort it out. So what happens? When do you get your lawyer? Well, it's not before you're um, handcuffed <laughs> and thrown into the paddy wagon. It's when you get down to the police station. Then you can make your call. I, if, any thinking person would, would think that's a sensible thing to do. I mean, in the early hours of the morning. <laughs> so she's going to plead guilty. If she just pleaded, if she pleaded non-guilty, she wouldn't even, not guilty, she wouldn't even have to end up in court and she'll just get and it'll be a minor you can bet it'll just be a minor fine it won't be very much they'll let her off with it you know she was the minister of police and the minister of transport and she was drunk driving and goodness knows what else she was under what other influences she was under uh, but because of this it's going to cost the taxpayer money uh, a guilty plea would likely result in a minor, a minor fine but 
it's not going to be that way. It's going to end up in court, and it's next year. And um, that just why does that just you slippery tart? Why don't you just flip and take it? <sighs> that just makes my blood boil as well. Seventeen minutes past five. Don't know why that makes me vulnerable. Uh, pregnancy poses far greater risk than oral contraceptives, according to a health expert. This is a sort of damage control after the um, coroner came out yesterday saying the um, oral contraceptives um, uh, could well be caught. They're warning young people not to take, young women not to take oral contraceptives because two have died of blood clots and heart problems but I think it's the vaccine I think that's the elephant in the room that they're all being quiet about um, but they say oral contraceptives are in the spotlight after the coroner's warning following the deaths of two young women in 2021 when, what came out in 2021? I can't remember, something happened eh? yeah, there was some something they did some kind of a medical procedure and forced everyone to take it I think from memory yeah. uh, apparently there is a um, what, what should I read next we talk about the rats a rat plague, a big climate change oh here's an interesting story, a man drove the stolen digger, took it from his dad's workshop <laughs> his father's um, building site uh, he stole the digger through town to steal an ATM and it caused $170,000 in damages the, um, he stole the digger, digger from his father's building site before ploughing it into the BP service station. <laughs> Police locate the owner of a kayak found floating off Cafferty Coast. Uh, that was off Raumati Beach. And some Wellington councillors question uh, Juanau, or Farnau, that's the mayor of Wellington. One councillor says the mayor, uh, Tory Juanau, should stand aside. I agree. While others at the meeting on Thursday expressed support, nah. all frontline police officers should be trained to go towards the sound of gunfire, according to an American counterterrorism expert. He says all frontline officers should be trained to enter a scene with an active armed offender. An American expert in counterterrorism has told the mosque attack inquest, which is uh, on now, right now, the driver charged with manslaughter after a pregnant spectator's baby dies. So she's um, she's up the duff and she's out there watching the boys' street race. Police allege the man was in an illegal street race. Well, I thought they all are. <laughs> all street. And, uh, um, his vehicle struck a woman spectator who was pregnant. Oh, nasty. No sprinklers, no alarms in Tongan Church. Uh, it's the church housing that's damaged in the blaze, the one that big one they had yesterday. Uh, families who lost their homes in a fire in Auckland's Mangary Bridge are likely to be uh, lucky to be alive. Fire and emergency believe. Four people have been arrested as police bust a legal drug operation in Whanganui. Uh, thousands in cash and a kilo of meth has been seized, and four people have been arrested in Whanganui as part of Operation Arch. Wellington Zoo, a couple of zoo stories here. Um, they have. Um, They've only, do you know they've only got one dog at Auckland Zoo? Yeah. It's a shit zoo. Wellington Zoo welcomes the baby giraffe. It's the first since 2004. A baby giraffe has been born at Wellington, at the zoo there, for the first time in two decades. And Wellington becomes... Also, they, they welcome a wild-born kiwi for the first time in 150 years. That's the um, the capital. They say that it's called Kiwi Project. They made the discovery of two baby kiwi on Monday. Uh, Gisborne councillor apologises 
to the mayor over meeting comments. And this is uh, interesting. Our Gisborne local district councillor, he apologised to the mayor after criticising the council's approach to risk. What does that mean? To risk to what? What's he talking about there? It looks like he likes a tipple. Got the rosy cheeks there. Colin Art, oh, Colin Older, he took the photo. Uh, Gisborne councillor criticised uh, the, the local mayor and he's apologised to the mayor after criticising the council's approach to risk this week. What does that mean? At Tuesday's audit, the risk meet uh, and risk meeting, Colin Alder. Oh, it is him. He must. I thought that was a, a credit for the photographer, but it's not. His name is Colin Alder. It said the council failed to listen to the community and direct elect members using the issue to, of a forestry slash. Remember that? All that slash that came down during Gabriel. The uh, foresters got the blame for that. Uh, well, I suppose maybe, maybe rightly or wrongly. And uh, so anyway, so they're having fights, aren't they? They're not very happy. So that's local body politics in Gisborne. Holes in the wall. A bin blaze burning for hours. What's that? A rubbish bin. And children inside Spa Lodge. A fire allowed to burn for hours. A door with four locks, holes in walls and and scattered rubbish. These are some of the living conditions in Rotorua's Spa Lodge described in the council assessment. So is this Spa Lodge, is this where they're housing um, people that they can't put into housing? I guess it is. It looks like it was once a pretty cool place to stay. A fire allowed to burn for hours. A door, we read all that, didn't we? It's alleged that the manager was was chased by a knife-wielding occupant following the early morning fire. <laughs> good, good grief. Well, we better have a look and see. Residents being uh, being dead-bolted in at night prompted Rotorua Lakes Council to issue Spa Lodge, a dangerous building uh, since the November the 6th, and ordered a fire and emergency assessment under the Building Act. Before the assessment was completed, a fire broke out and on the 20th of November. A second dangerous building notice was issued, 22nd. Now the report prompting the notice has been released to local democracy reporting under the Local Government Official Information Act meeting. Uh, senior advisor for risk reduction, Linda McHugh, said Rotorua Fire Station has asked to make the assessment. What's this all about, though? Spa Lodge is consented as a backpack, it's a backpackers facility that allows long-term guests, oh, I see, so basically they're just using it as emergency housing, and it's turning to, turning to shit, isn't it, this is what's going to happen, you've got all sorts of funny people, uh, Auckland um, police, is it Auckland police, not sure, uh, police trespass by entering property uh, with the keep out sign, uh, police were trespassing, according. Uh, well that's interesting, they had a keep out sign on there and they just walked in. Independent Police Conduct Authority says police trespassed by going into a man's property even though he had a keep out private property sign when they were trying to deliver a court court document. The police went to the Canterbury property in December 2020 to serve the family court documents on the court's behalf to the man then the man then the, to the man's then partner. Neither the man nor his partner were home, and the police spoke briefly to a younger person. So, so that's interesting, isn't it? The authority found that the service of originating proceedings and a judge's minute notifying of an upcoming conference is not the execution of a court process pursuant to the court order. It's all this legal stuff, which leave you 
So the officers involved went onto the property in good faith and left after being told the person they saw was not there. Okay. All right. So that's interesting. So they're not allowed to go onto the property. And mm, surely there'd be cases where they are. Uh, our members are pretty grumpy. Nurses are taking legal the legal route over a pay, uh, the late pay. Um, New Zealand Health, they're still calling it Te Wata Ora, is months late in uh, changing the pay rates for nurses who are now taking legal action seeking compensation. Hmm. Auckland Council uh, Chief Financial Officer has resigned, Peter Gudsell. He will leave in February next year after his team has delivered the council's 10-year budget consultation document. And what's next? I think now we're moving on to yesterday, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yeah, okay. So that is Radio New Zealand. You'll find them at rnz.co.nz. We'll be back with some of the other news in just a moment. To those raising the Palestinian flag, where were you when ISIS was launched in the name of Islam and beheaded tens of thousands of Arabs in Libya, Syria, and Iraq? Why didn't you take it to the streets and raise their flags and condemn the terror and call for a ceasefire? Where were you when Arab dictators and terrorists killed hundreds of thousands of Arabs in Syria and Libya? Why didn't you take it to the streets then and raise the Syrian and Libyan flags and condemn the terror and call for a ceasefire? Where were you in the last decade when Saudi Arabia, backed by other Arab countries, killed and starved out more than 400,000 Yemenis? my country. I didn't see any of you take to the streets or raise the Yemeni flag or condemn the terror or call for a ceasefire. This calls for some self-reflection. When millions of Arabs are slaughtered by other Arabs, you say absolutely nothing. But when 7,000 Arabs are killed by Jews defending their right to exist... Yes, if, if you, okay, 26 past 5, that was a bit of a bad ending, wasn't it? Okay, we're over now at newshub.co.nz and multiple crashes have happened across New Zealand. That would be yesterday, uh, leaving several people with injuries and it's been a sad end to November. So that must have been uh, yesterday night, I, I, last night I suppose. Uh, three serious crashes and one multiple vehicle crash all occurring yesterday. A serious single vehicle crash occurred at Hurunui at 8.30 in the morning yesterday, causing Mouse Point Road to close in Leslie Hills. And four hours later, a multiple vehicle crash involving two trucks took place on Auckland's southern motorway, State Highway 1, near the Princess Street Otahuhu off-ramp. And it was lucky there was no one injured there. And not long before the crash, three vehicles collided on State Highway 1 before... 12.30pm near Leithfields Mill, that's near Hurunui as well, and one person is in serious condition and three others were in moderate, had moderate injuries, and just after 5 o'clock last night emergency services responded to a serious crash in Hurunui State Highway north of Wanganui, uh, sorry Wangurei. Uh, the crash involved one vehicle and left two people with critical injuries, serious crash unit investigating all three of those crashes. And it comes as the year's road toll is t- currently at 300 exactly. Last year at the same time it was 339 people killed on our roads. So then we're slightly better, we're up 39, so that's good. 10% down, is that what it be? Oh, I guess it is. It wasn't the strongest point. Uh, math, um, it's, tra- it's a tactic. A new poll proves ratepayers support leasing ports of Auckland, according to Wayne Brown. So he says it's a tactic. Um, Oh, should we listen to the, see what they, oh no, it's a big ad, so I can't, I can't play that. They didn't have that. Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown says the new poll proves uh, 
that ratepayers are behind his proposal to lease ports of Auckland's commercial operations. The plan would continue to the establishment of a multi-billion dollar future fund which would help pay for repairs needed after natural disasters. While the poll appears to back Mayor Brown's plans to... uh, uh, There's a cluster of councillors, they're not convinced. Well, he's done the poll. Uh, You wouldn't be so... Anyway, not everybody's happy. Auckland Port is once again a political football. No, look, honestly, I do think they should lease it up. I think that's good, what they're doing. Brown told Newshub that he has Aucklanders backing and uh, for his commercial operations. Some of my councillors have had long careers of saying no to every possible thing, so you don't have to get everybody. But I think the public support will bring along um, the thoughtful ones, Brown said. He's, I think he's doing a fabulous job. Uh, News Hub has provided, they were provided with the poll results, which showed 57% of Aucklanders support leasing the port of Auckland and 23% don't. So there you go. The people have spoken. And that's Mayor Brown. And in cricket, the Black Caps versus Bangladesh host uh, retake the lead after New Zealand bowled out on day three. Uh, bullying, apparently. Labour, more bullying. Is that Jenny Anderson? Yeah. Bullying allegations don't stop Anderson from climbing the Labour ladder. Mm-hmm. Unpopular Auckland Council processes move from, uh, rather proposes a move from weekly to fortnightly rubbish collection. That would be a disaster. In the Middle East, worse than I imagined, UNICEF worker describes the horror of Gaza. Well, they shouldn't have attacked the Jews on the 7th of October, should they? Every single death in Gaza is a, re- is a result of Hamas's attack. And that's where, that's where the, the blame lies. Uh, education fears mainstream teachers won't cope as acclaimed Kauri Centre for Troubled Youth closes. Oh, really? Um, Auckland tsunami sirens to be deactivated from Friday, today. And a video, a shocking video emerges online of two men viciously fighting in Auckland road rage scrap. I don't know, we won't have a look at that. You can have a look at that. That could get you over. That could be clickbait for some of you. That's at newshub.co.nz, newshub. Relationships. Is your partner emotionally mature? Oh, far out. And there's the wee giraffe. How cute is that? That is lovely. There we are. And so that is News Hub. We'll go to, um, what's the other one? News Scrub, they call it. Uh, We'll have a look at Stuffed, they call it. It's actually stuffed.co.nz. And we'll be back there and uh, see what they've got happening on their news. It just gone half past five. Uh, I remember being stunned when... uh People started cursing publicly. Having come from a yeshiva religious background, Ben would have the very similar response, and, and maybe even someone from, from a strongly Christian background, that we understood people say expletives, etc., but that it became normative in society. To me, that was uh, Wilson, Jane Q. Wilson's uh, Broken Windows. To me, the, the, the holy is the, is the window that's broken. When you break the holy, you don't immediately break the ethical. Mm. Secular people think we don't need holy stuff. Mm. That's nonsense. We just need ethics, mm-hmm. but it's not true. That's why I say it protects the ethical. Mm-hmm. Holy, 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 10 commandments. That's Jordan Peterson there with Dennis Prager. Very interesting. Uh, they enjoy their conversations together. Uh, one's Jewish, I think, isn't he? Uh, yeah, 
Dennis Prager, he's Jewish. He runs that Prager University. Very clever, very clever man. And I'm not sure what Jordan Peterson is. I think I know his wife's sort of gone down the Roman Catholic track. Now we're over at the National News for Stuff. You'll find them at stuff.co.nz. Why a wilding pine Christmas tree could land you in on the naughty list uh, with the cost of living crisis in full swing. It may seem fair game to help yourself to a free wilding pine this Christmas, but you better watch out. So you're not allowed to. Not allowed to take those. You've got to go and pay the money and get yourself a proper um, pagan Christmas tree. <laughs> it's true. It's got nothing. What's what? And what has a Christmas tree got to do with Jesus Christ? Uh, can't figure that one out. And what has Easter eggs got to do with Jesus being born and, and bunnies? What's that got to do with Christmas? Um, with um, not Christmas. What's that got to do with Jesus being born? And why pagan ceremony? What what Easter? Ishtate? We're the pagan. Why is that? What's the crack? <laughs> What's wrong with us? Why do we just do this? Why do we just sort of like do these things without even thinking about it? What on earth will be giving gifts to one another on the pagan high day of the 25th of December? I mean, every thinking person knows Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December. It's a pagan high day. Mm. I guess the book to read would have to be the book by Alexander Hislop. It's called The Two Babylons. It shows... The absolute mirroring, pretty much, the link between, basically, he proves that the worship of Nimrod and his wife and son, uh, the Babylonian goddess worship, pretty much, that actually is what Roman Catholicism is. Papal worship is that. That's what it is. And they've just given it new names. New names for Christianized paganism. (laughs) Now... Uh, the Future of Low-Lying South Dunedin. 16 choices, apparently. Operation for the future of flood-prone South Dunedin includes partial retreat. There you go. This is the planned retreat. If you go over to Counterspin Media, this is what this is what Samantha Edwards wrote in her... Uh, was Which one was that she did? If you go to Counterspin Media and look under videos, you'll see it there. It's all about planned retreat. Uh, yeah, she's done some good videos, so you have a look at that. So, yeah, the idea is this is part of Agenda 2030, sustainable development. Rosa Corey talked about it. They want to control everything. They want to get you off the land, get you living in a smart city. We, we know all about that. We talk about that all the time, don't we, here? For those of you, so I won't harp on about that. Um, but, you know, here we go. This is it. Um, and, you know, they're using the climate change business. And, you know, it makes you think that maybe they are directing weather at us. You know, to just to further their, further their um, their plans to get us off the land and away from the the beautiful parts, which their rich billionaires are going to end up taking. They just basically get it for nothing, don't they? If you think about it, and they chuck us in these little uh, sort of smart cities, which are going to turn into dumb ghettos. We'll be living in ghettos. Nasty, nasty. They want to control everything: food, power. Oh, there is a moon up there. It's just just poked its head round. Yeah, I can see it there. Okay, a councillor who acknowledged existence of street document loses role. Damien Harvey was the only one of 15 councillors to acknowledge publicly that a controversial document existed. Now, I'm not even sure where that is. It doesn't tell us, so we'll have to click on it. And it's the Hastings District Council. Uh, a Hastings District Council has acknowledged the existence of a secret council document that advised staff to ignore complaints and wait litigation. 
and has and he's been stripped of his role as the chair of a council committee. Damien Harvey, a third-term councillor, has recently been stripped of his role as chair of the council's performance and monitoring committee, a position he had held for 12 months. Hastings Mayor Sandra Hazelhurst, who decides who chairs the committees, said her decision was influenced in part by Harvey's comments in relation to the existence of a controversial secret council document. Oh, you secretive, you secretive people. These are things, you see, look how they operate. These are things we should all know anyway. The existence of the document, which refers to the council's normal practice of dealing with complaints by shutting up shop, quote-unquote, ignoring and to wait for litigation, quote-unquote, was uncovered by a couple involved in a long-running dispute with the council. Blimey, he should be given a medal. Good on you, Damien. He's gutted by the mayor's decision to strip him of his committee uh, chair position. The council, through its law firm uh, Rice Spear, they refused to release the document, saying that it had been in draft and hadn't been presented. Oh, rubble, legal rubbish! So no, he's a good guy, and he's been stripped for you know telling the truth. Now, just goes to show you, they think they work for themselves, don't they? They don't. They forget that they work for us. Where was that again? Hastings. Yeah, I never really like... No, I don't like Hastings. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, pregnancy poses far greater risk. This is the same deal. They're really in damage control. Up, They were the oral contraceptives being given out to young women when the coroner spotlighted the warning of uh, the deaths of those two young women in 2021, but just so happened to coincide with some other event that took place. <laughs> you can guarantee it had nothing to do with the contraceptives and had Everything to do. I mean, maybe it was sort of like an exciting factor, but you can not, you can guarantee you can take it from Grant, take it from Grant Edwards. He knows about these things. That it will be the Jabberoony, won't it? Of course it will. Two people critically injured after a crash in Northam. Single vehicle crash in Hurunui happened just after 5 p.m. last night, uh, leaving people uh, leaving the road partially blocked. Uh, Wellington can't go on hold because of Tory one hour. That's what the councillors are saying. No, they need to sack her. A man sentenced after falsely claiming $30,000 of COVID benefit. Mm-hmm. The new government taking advice after stopping work on the light rail project. Uh, they should stop it. Five things we learnt from Luxon's first post-cabinet meeting. So we could have a quick look. Should we have a look at that or not? Oh, it's pretty boring, isn't it? Let's see if we've got some more news. I'll skitter around and find some good stuff. Um, now, what are we going to have? What does it take? No, 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 that's no good. Men's shelter in Fitzroy is to close. Is that oh, Fitzroy? Is that over at uh, the, the Great Barrier Island? Emergency Shelter Trust. Cheers, Peter Coles. He says the men's emergency shelter. I tell you what, if you're a bloke on your own, you, you're, <laughs> you're in dire straits. The women get all the help. The bloke get no, blokes get nothing. A new rules covering supporting housing. Oh, it's in New Plymouth. Okay. So that may be shutting its doors after 47 years. It was a homeless place for, for men. Um, yeah, that's a bit of a shame, isn't it? And so that is all we've got for so far. That's worth looking at. That's the front page. That's the big stuff. The most popular stories are the two cities named the world's most expensive uh, New Zealand urban centres and 
they would be, where are they? Let's have a look here. Two cities have been jointly named the world's most expensive places to live, while the two New Zealand urban centres measured have continued their drop down the rankings. The worldwide cost of living for 2023 ranks uh, from the Economist Intelligent Unit. It measures the prices of over 200 goods and services in 172 cities worldwide. Singapore held on to its top placing for the ninth time in 11 years. The Swiss city of Zurich, uh, that shot up from sixth uh, thanks to the strength of the Swiss franc. And here in New Zealand, both Auckland and Wellington have dropped from their joint 37th placing in the last survey to 47. The cheapest city is the Syrian capital of Damascus and Gaza Strip. (laughs) I added that in. Damascus. Damascus is actually, the Bible says Damascus is going to be smashed. It's going to be just the haunt of wild dogs. Uh, So there's, there's trouble there, which is very sad. I kind of like... I like Ashad. I don't believe a lot of the stuff the West is saying about him. You know, gassing his own people, poisoning his own people, all this stuff. Uh, I've I followed him quite extensively, and I was listening to a girl called what was her name? Syrian girl. And she and so I was watching her videos, listening to her and others, and watching him. And I don't see that he is what they're claiming he is. And so. You know, and they did the same with Gaddafi. They tried to make out Gaddafi was just this wicked, evil person. You know, the what was it, the black dog? What did Reagan call him? The wild dog or something like that of the of the Middle East or the, something like that. And and yet, you know, people that when they got married, they got fifty thousand US dollars when people got married. He wouldn't take his own f- mother and father. This is Gaddafi wouldn't allow his own mother and father to go into a house until every Libyan had their own home. Um, huge reserves in oil. Uh, cost of living is uh, free education. Uh, I think you're even given a grant to go and study at universities overseas. He really looked after those people. He loved his people. Lots of women around them. None of them said there was any ever a, ever a problem. He behaved in the most exemplary manner around all his women bodyguards. I don't know why he had women bodyguards. But... Um, he had a massive amount of people around him all the time. Kids loved him. The wives loved him. Uh, he was setting up, before Hillary Clinton went in and had him killed, in the most barbaric way, um, he was setting up his own economy, own currency, with all the African countries, uniting them away from the American greenback, as far as I know. And... There was a colonel, a, a, a general, I think his name, a former general, five-star general, I think he retired, and he was going around saying that he'd had information from the White House that America had planned, they'd made plans to invade five Middle Eastern countries. And he said to one of the guys, he was at the White House, I'll see if I can dig that out, actually, and I'll bring it to you next week. Um can't remember his name, but anyway, he said that the general said, I have no idea why we're doing it. And But of course, now we look back at it, and, the, and America has done it. They tried Syria, but Russia stepped in and stopped that. They would have, they would have, they will eventually take Syria, according to the Bible. Uh, Damascus is going to be smashed. So, doesn't look good for Syria, does it? Uh, it looks like it's going to be a beautiful day. 
here where I am, uh, moon is shining. I've got the tractor out there. Well, yesterday I located a broken water water pipe, uh, which was feeding three troughs, and they were out of action. So three troughs is quite a bit. But we've got them going again, so I'll go down and check after I finish my program. I'll check to make sure that they are full. They, they operate off a dam. Uh, everything on this property is gravity-fed, if you believe in gravity. <laughs> if it runs downhill, it works. You call that gravity? I suppose so. I suppose we do. But the moon is out. It uh, looks like it's going to be a beautiful day where I am. I hope it's a nice day where you are. Now, um, so why, what am I doing over here? I'm at stuff. Uh, we'll come back to... Yeah, we've finished there. I think we've finished with stuff. We could have a look at international news. Should we go to... Should we go and have a look at that? We'll go to Reuters. Uh, I'll be right back with Reuters in just a moment. Okay, let me ask you a question. So you have a Muslim husband, yeah, right? Yeah. Let me ask you a question via you yeah, for him. No problem. If Islam is so fantastic, why do Muslims always flee to Christian countries? I why? tell you why, because Christian countries or Western countries, to be more precise, yeah. tend to send troops to their countries, destroy their homes, and but then push them, uh, them out of their neighborhoods. That's why. Because but why people... come to Christian countries? Why not go to Saudi or another Muslim country? Well, because Saudi does, uh, Saudi Arabia actively prevents uh, their Muslim neighbors from uh, going there. And ah, the, the UK that? government or the US... But why does Saudi prevent migrants going there? Look, I'm not an ambassador for the, for the Saudi government. No, but Probably I'm asking, because why it, come it, to is a, it is a repressive government. Isn't it because Christian lands are free and tolerant and open? And isn't that the very thing that Muslims try and change when they arrive in our country? That's my question and my challenge in the UK. <laughs> 15 to 6 at the Liberty and Z Breakfast with Grant Edwards. We're over at Reuters. You can find them at Reuters. R-E-U-T. E-R-S, if you want to know the spelling, Reuters.com, and uh, we're just looking at the headlines here because they make you pay. <laughs> All trapped workers rescued from the Himalayan tunnel, according to officials. Indian Rescue was on Tuesday, pulled out all 41 construction workers trapped inside the collapsed tunnel in the Himalayan uh, Himalayas for 17 days. And uh, hours after the drilling through, they drilled through the debris of the rock, uh, concrete and earth to reach them. According to officials, United Nations Committee Against Torture has expressed concerns about Denmark's ambitions to transfer asylum seekers to third world countries like Rwanda, while their applications are being considered, citing worries about the safety of immigrants. And Spanish police have arrested two Brazilian brothers in the southern city of Estonia over alleged links to the Islamic State militant group according to the militant group, terrorist group, call it what it is, according to the Civil Guard Police Force that's there. And a truce between Israel and Hamas in the Gaza Strip has been extended to six days, and aid agencies are using the pause in the fighting to ramp up aid deliveries into the besieged enclave. And the dollar has dropped, the US dollar, uh, New York, uh, London Reuters report, the US dollar sank to a three-month low on Tuesday, as investors continue, why, why are we looking at Tuesday? This is, I've, I tried refreshing it, we've got this old news, it says November 28th, so that's yesterday, because, well that's like two days old, I don't know what the story is there. Oh well, we'll box on, so the dollar has dropped apparently, um, what else have we got, UN chief heads to Jordan for talks to open the second crossing into Gaza, Martin Griffiths, he will travel to the Jordanian capital uh, it's called Amman on Wednesday, which would be Thursday, so it was yesterday. This is a bit outdated. I don't know why it's so old. 
no reason for it to be old. Um, what else have we got? U.S. annual home price growth accelerates again in September, and underscoring the rebound of the housing market as it entered the final quarter of the year. And the wife of Ukrainian military spy chief has been poised with, uh, rather poisoned, good grief, I got that wrong, poisoned with heavy metals and is undergoing treatment in a hospital, according to a spokesman. Hezbollah, a senior Hezbollah politician, said on Tuesday that he hoped the truce would continue and his Iran-backed group had started paying compensation to people who had suffered losses during the weeks of Israeli strikes in Lebanon. Well, you guys started it, and you're still firing your guns at the Israelis, so, you know. In fact, they've got terror attacks happening right now. Even though there's a ceasefire, the Muslim terrorists are still firing and still doing stuff, bad stuff. Um, we'll we'll have a look at that too. Uh, we'll go over to the um, Jerusalem Post and bring you up to date on that. And finally, Peru's economy minister on Tuesday said that the Andean country's mining sector was preventing the economy from sinking into a deeper recession and said that the progress kickstart projects that keep priority in the near term. Mm. Do you understand that? No, no not me neither. Okay, we'll be we'll be back with um, Jerusalem Post and see what they've got going there. It's 12 minutes to six. How good are you at giving blowjobs? Oh, no. And he looks at me like, what kind of a freaking question is that? Yeah. He says, I'm sorry? And I said, yeah, how good are you at giving it? He says, Yuck. no. I said, when you were 11 years old, did anybody teach you how to give one? No. Why would they teach me that? That's what they're teaching in schools right now in many different places. This biomedical industrial complex is going to make huge profits off yet another vaccine and the associated drugs. So it's a business model. It's a business model for media. That's why the fear porn, it drives clicks. At the CPAC conference in Dallas, Texas, I sat down with mRNA vaccine pioneer, Dr. Robert Malone, this time to discuss the strange events and policies surrounding the monkeypox outbreak. In many of our leaders, to my eye, they've kind of given up on the idea of the American nation state and the logic of independent nation states in general. And they bought into the logic that there should be a one world government largely unelected. Dr. Malone popularized the concept of mass formation earlier this year, but this is just one of the many aspects of human psychology playing into our current societal moment. We tackle the concept of groupthink, the role it has played, and how to avoid it in the future. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelly. Well, it's the morning after the night before in London, and you can see all over the newspapers pictures such as this. The media are getting this all wrong. They're saying Palestinian protests. No, they weren't protests. They were celebrations. They were pro-Hamas celebrations taking place on the streets of London, Brighton, Manchester, and indeed Newcastle as well. They are celebrating kidnap, rape, and murder. They are coming out with some of the most appalling slogans, incitements to violence. This is pure racism. And yet, if I was to make a single comment on GB News or elsewhere that was deemed to be Islamophobic, I would be closed down. Something is going very, very badly wrong here. Nigel Farage there at 10 minutes to 6. TNT Radio News will be coming up at 6 o'clock. We're over at the Jerusalem Post. You can find them at jpost.com. 
Uh, it says here the Israeli-Hamas war, day 55. A second Israeli hostages arrived. The terrorists who carried out the terror attacks in Jerusalem were identified as Eastern Jerusalem residents with ties to Hamas. So there's still there are still problems. We've got three murdered by Hamas terrorists uh, in Jerusalem shooting. At least the Israelis get get it right. They don't call them militants over there. So there's still you know in, even though there's supposed to be a ceasefire, they're still carrying out acts of terror. These mongrels. And so what do we got here? This is the breaking news. France's Macron welcomes the release of French-Israeli hostage from Gaza. Uh, Trump's gag order reinstated by court, according to the new. That's in the New York civil trial. That's that's Israeli news, and Iran's Rizi to miss the COP28 due to Israel's attendance, according to state media. So they're boycotting it. And we've got Netanyahu, the Gaza war on hold for another 24 hours. Eight captives are to be freed tonight. And what have we got here? Anything else? Uh, Israel confirms hostage deal backed on, back on the Hamas. Uh, sorry, Israel confirms hostage deal back on after Hamas delayed. And um, Hamas morale suffers as Israel gains ground on Gaza fleeing from the IDF so they should be fleeing as well um, it's very difficult to read all this stuff because it's sort of all over the place um, three people have been murdered we had that what was that one there gosh that's nasty that's just like an out on the streets three people were killed and five other people were wounded in a shooting attack at the centre of Jerusalem on Thursday that was uh, really overnight for us according to emergency services. 73-year-old man and a woman in her 60s and a 24-year-old woman were killed in the attack, while three other people were seriously wounded and two people were in, had light, uh, moderate, light to moderate conditions. The man murdered in the attack was Rabbi Emilek Wazaman, who served as a rabbinical judge, a judge in the rabbinical court of Ashdod, according to Religious Service Minister Michael Malakaili, one of the women murdered in the attack was Shana Ifergan, and the, she's a, a principal of the Belis Yaakov Binot Hashar in Bet Shemesh. And there was another lady as well, which I name I definitely can't, can't pronounce. According to police, two terrorists uh, from the eastern Jerusalem carrying an M16 and handgun arrived at the uh, the junction near the entrance to Jerusalem on Thursday morning and began firing so that was overnight for us For just began firing at civilians this is just terror two terrorists were shot and killed by security forces and a civilian who was at the scene including an IDF soldier who was heading back to base after being on break from services in Gaza Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Thursday evening so that's just overnight ordered the demolition of the terrorist homes now that's what they do now i had a friend who was um he was actually he's a lawyer a, a barrister in dublin and he was friendly we were friendly uh until this uh not this but he, he told me that he was when he was younger he was um what they called a united nations observer and he said i saw and also I've got another friend who was with the New Zealand Defence Force who said the same thing. The Israelis, they just indiscriminately demolish Palestinian homes. 
But what they don't realise, and I got this information um, well over 15 years ago, what they don't realise is they find out who the terrorists are and they demolish their homes. They demolish the homes of their parents. And that's a warning. They put this warning out. If you come in and you commit crimes against us, if you you blow yourself up in Jewish cafes or uh, kill uh, Israeli citizens, we'll find out where you live, we'll find out where your parents live, and we'll demolish, we'll bulldoze the homes. And so that's that's the punishment. That's what they do. So that and so now you know. That's the truth of it, and it's not indiscriminate at all. But of course, the the anti-Semites, the Jew-hating people of the world, want to blame Israel for bulldozing Palestinians homes and, th- and they say that it's indiscriminate it's just absolute rubbish it's, and you know you've got to ask yourself you're either nuts you're either a mental a mental person or you are actually a Jew hater you hate the Jews let's call it what it is anti-Semitism you're a Jew hater you hate the Jews you hate them if, if, you're, if you're listening to the information that's coming out of Gaza first and, and believing that and repeating that to people and spreading that around the internet then you are either stupid or you hate Jews. You've got this propensity, this weirdness, that you hate the Lord's people. And so there's a big warning in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 reads that if you curse them, God will curse you. There's a warning to you. So you've been warned. If you bless them, if you bless the Jewish people, God will bless you. We'll have a look at Aussie and see what they're doing. Um, We might do that after the news. You know, I had a wise working class guy I once worked for back in the 1970s. He was a conservative, not a socialist. And I was at that time, I was about 14. I was pretty entranced by socialist ideas. And the Socialist Party in Alberta, my province, had a pretty good small business platform. And I said, why the hell don't you vote for the socialists? They have a lot better platform for your endeavor than the conservatives who are a party of big business. And he said, small business owners don't want to be small business owners. They want to be big business owners and people vote their dreams not their reality. And I thought, oh my God, that's so smart. And you know, and and then I thought too, with regards to Trump is that even though his wealth was unimaginably out of reach for the typical working class person, I think people could look at Trump and think, well, there are conceivable universes in which I could be Donald Trump. We've got uh, TNT Radio News coming up at six o'clock.
replay of this hour, go to episodes at tntradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. The humanitarian ceasefire between Israel and Hamas was extended early Thursday morning, shortly before the six-day truce was set to expire. The Israeli Defense Force announced on X the operational pause will continue in light of the mediator's efforts to continue the process of releasing the hostages and subject to the terms of the framework. The announcement came minutes before the expiration of the truce. The conditions of the ceasefire, including the halt of hostilities and the entry of humanitarian aid, remained the same. Qatari Foreign Ministry spokesman Mahid bin Muhammad al-Ansari said the one-day extension was agreed upon under the same previous terms. Another labor-run local authority, Nottingham City Council, has declared itself effectively bankrupt due to a budget imbalance in the 2023-2024 financial year. It comes two months after the Birmingham City Council issued a Section 114 notice after it failed to settle a £760 million bill on equal pay claims. Like Birmingham City Council, the Nottingham local authority is labor-run, including 50 labor councillors and five councillors from other parties. The council leader, David Mellon, issued a statement on Wednesday, citing the combination of conservative austerity, out-of-control inflation, and rising demand in social care as reasons for issuing the 114 notice. According to the council's chief finance officer, the authority was set for a £23 million overspend in the 2023-2024 financial year. So, for example, the government claims it's taking asylum seekers out of hotels. They're not really. They're handing those asylum seekers over to local councils. The councils are now putting those people in the same hotels, but out of a council budget with very small amounts of money. Where's that money going to come from? It's going to come from local services. Top Republicans on the House Energy and Commerce Committee are calling for attention from U.S. health authorities on the suspicious clusters of viral infections and reports of pneumonia affecting Chinese children warning that it would be an abdication of their duty for allowing the Chinese regime to repeat its misdeeds from the COVID-19 pandemic. In a November 29th letter addressed to the Centers for Disease Control and Protection Director Mandy Cohen, who was set to testify before the committee's oversight subcommittee on Thursday, the lawmakers underscored the Chinese regime's repeated efforts to suppress information about the burgeoning COVID-19 crisis since it began to spread in China three years ago. Such actions by China have drawn criticism from international bodies, such as the World Health Organization, which the lawmakers noted has long been criticized for being overly accommodating to the Chinese Communist Party. The infections of children with respiratory illness and pneumonia in China have overwhelmed hospitals and alarmed the WHO, which is urging China to share data about the outbreak. Anecdotal reports have also indicated that children are transmitting the illness to other members of their family, including adults. Local authorities in England can ban gypsies and travelers from their land, the Supreme Court has ruled. The court ruling comes after a series of appeals to decisions, which would prevent travelers from settling on public land such as parks, fields, and roadside verges. Prohibitory newcomer injunctions can be granted on a short-term interim basis as a matter of principle. Representative James Comer joined Hannity to discuss a new email allegedly showing that a money laundering investigator had raised an alarm over Hunter Biden's 2018 payments from China. So when they were when they contacted the, the Bidens to ask, what was this five million dollar wire? They said it was a loan, just like what Joe Biden said, the checks that we identified he received was a loan. So the bank did what I did. They said, OK, we'll provide the loan documents. They couldn't do that, Sean. They didn't have loan documents. So the bank knew that China didn't send Hunter Biden $5 million 
as a loan without documentation. And then even further, they said that Hunter Biden took 58% of that in the form of fees and distributed it to various family members, including Joe Biden. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Hey, okie dokie. Right, that's TNT Radio News, and the shop is open. Let's go over to Weather now and check out what's happening at Met Service. They're finally going. Nothing from Weather Watch uh, at the moment, but we've got the Met Service, and Auckland has the highest temperature in Manukau, 15.1 degrees. Tianau, minus 0.1 degrees this morning, a wee bit chilly there. Wellington and Lyle Bay has the windiest, uh, that's the windiest location, but it's not that windy, 39 kilometres wind per hour. And then Wellington is also the wettest uh, in the city. 0.4 millimetres of rain is falling as we speak, as I speak. It's six minutes past six and the short forecast for the whole country. Uh, I guess it's going to be valid until probably tonight, around midnight, there'll be a new one. Uh, For Northland, Waikato and including the Coromandel Peninsula, long fine spells, a chance of a late shower for the inland Waikato and Waitomo area. For the Bay of Plenty, Taupo, Taramanui, you have uh, mainly fine weather, isolated showers from afternoon or evening. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, cloudy period, scattered showers at times. Taranaki to Wellington, including the Taihapi, also Wairarapa. Partly cloudy with isolated showers becoming fine in the afternoon. For Nelson, Buller and Westland, mainly fine, isolated afternoon and evening showers inland. For Marlborough and Canterbury, often cloudy, isolated showers clearing in the afternoon with fine breaks increasing. Fiordland and Otago, also Southland, mainly fine, areas of morning cloud. And finally for the Chatham Islands um, and its islands, you've got showers clearing later in the morning and then it's going to be fine weather for you as well. All right, I'll be back in a mo, and we'll go. And I've got, and I actually, did you know the Pogues guy died today? Uh, what's his name? The Irish Pogues, sixty-five-year-old. Can't remember his name. I'll find that, and I'll find a song for you with the Pogues, and also we'll hear from Douglas Murray as well. It's seven past six. From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at TNTRadio.live. What part they do they don't not agree, agree with? with its existence. Oh, okay, yes. sure. Okay, but I'm existence. talking about the BDS movement. The Why BDS is the BDS movement? movement? Yeah. I'm not sure as to what their official position is. So that's the critical suggest- part. So the BDS movement, you're correct, is boycott, divest, and sanction of Israel because yeah. they don't agree with Israel's existence or right to defend herself. But you have to ask the question, why do they not agree with Israel's right to defend herself? Every other country in the world, if they are being attacked, has a sovereign right to defend their own people. So that question, why, is your answer. When you have to answer that question, why? Why do they want to boycott, divest, and sanction Israel out of existence? And when you hold Jewish people to different standards, when Ilhan Omar does not support sanctions on Venezuela, who is oppressing their people and starving their people, and the reason for the double standard is because the state of Israel is Jewish and the other nations aren't, that is anti-Semitism. It is because they are Jewish. Accurate. Uh, I'll give props to the BDS supporter for just saying the quiet part out loud, which is that they want Israel not to exist. Usually mm-hmm. they lie about that. Mm. That's right. Ben Shapiro, yeah, ben Shapiro there. Okay, we're over at uh, Radio New Zealand again, and uh, we don't know why they weren't working or uh, or used. Uh, who said that? Well, that's the no-smoke alarms in the house damaged by fire in Mangary Bridge. Uh, the fire which destroyed the Mangra Bridge Church complex where families have been living in temporary accommodation. The fire service said it's a wonder no one was killed. And they said, we don't know why they weren't working. Well, you've got to check things, don't you? Make sure the batteries are working. When they go beep, 
beep, <laughs> that's a sign your batteries are going flat. Uh, more news for Radio New Zealand, rnz.co.nz. Mark Mitchell, isn't he the police minister as well? Isn't he the one that wants to ban gang patches and st- and make gang members with uh, uh, women's, what would they wear, foundation over their tattoos when they go out in public or they'll be fined? The, this is Mark Mitchell. He's also, uh, he's the emergency what does he call himself, recovery minister, Mark Mitchell. Uh, he's been visiting the cyclone and flood-ravaged reason, uh, areas, regions, to hear what people need. Um, so he's going to, he is committed to supporting the cyclone-hit regions. That's good. Let's hope he can do a better job than the last government did. Auckland Council, of course, they're looking to move their fortnightly rubbish collection and it would be deeply unpopular, according to councillors. They fear that the city's curbside rubbish collection could be reduced uh, from a weekly to an inconvenient fortnightly. That would be just terrible. That's just going to bring ver- just all sorts of problems. Man alive, the drinkers, the, the boozers, their, um, their, their wine bottles and beer bottles will be all overflowing. <laughs> they'll have to give them bigger... They will. They'll have to give them bigger bins. That's going to be cost a lot of money. No, need to, it needs to be weekly, guys. It needs to be weekly. Uh, okay, Kerry Allen, she gives her reasons on her um, what what social media. Former Justice Minister, and she's also Minister of Transport, she was. Kerry Allen, she says that she's pleading not guilty to a charge of failing to accompany a police officer on the basis that she should not did not have access to a lawyer. Well, that's crazy. Any thinking, any one of us, well, you go with the cop. You don't ring your lawyer first. <laughs> You go with the police. They've got to take you. They've got to take you in. And you ran away from the scene. The paper didn't mention that. Very left-leaning publication we've got here, and we pay for the Radio New Zealand. That's part of New Zealand taxpayers. We that's we own that. And you're feeding us misinformation, disinformation, because it's on purpose. And um, the 2023 New Zealand Podcast Awards, Radio New Zealand ha- actually they're, they're advertising themselves here they ended up being the best publisher third year in a row pregnancy poses far greater risk than oral contraceptives the uh, the contraceptive the, the drug companies are in damage control that would be after the um, oral contraceptives were in the spotlight yesterday after the coroner's warning following the deaths of two young women in 2021 but my take on it is that they'd all been vaccinated and that's what killed them they had blood clots, all the usual that we've heard about that the that the media have been trying to suppress and not let us see or hear about and we're branded as conspiracy theorists and anti-vaxxers and this has been going on all along. Liz Gunn's just put out a new video, I started to watch it the guy seemed a bit weak to me uh, apparently Apparently others are saying, no, get up, move it up forward to 15 minutes in. I started to watch it. John Ansell sent it to me, and he hadn't even watched it. So I have to have a talk to him today and see what he thinks of it. I wasn't impressed. I was busy yesterday, so I only watched about two or three minutes um, while I was driving. (laughs) I was watching video. I was. I was driving on my own property in my tractor, doing about five miles per hour. And um, I I was listening away to it, and I thought, oh, gosh, you know. And then I sort of look at him, and he's a weak-looking character. And, um, you know, or couldn't I start again? And she goes, oh, no, 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 you know. You, you sort of, you know Liz is the way she sometimes sort of, like, 
gushes over people. I think it needed to be fully, really edited, actually, because it was pretty, didn't sound very good to me. Uh, but apparently, um, this is the mother of all revelations. He's a statistician. So I'll have to go and watch it, I suppose. But I'll be interested to see. I'll, I'll watch it after today's program. Uh, so you can find that at Rumble. I think it's on Liz's, um, this is Liz Gunn, the leader of the New Zealand Loyal uh, Political Party, which did very well, did probably as well as, well, better than any of the minor parties, really. Um, I think it was about 27,000 votes, uh, according to the figures. And I think the um, Freedom New Zealand, which is a coalition uh, of a, a, a number of parties, they only got 6,000 votes. Somewhere around there, so pretty good for ten, ten to twelve weeks of campaigning from start, you know, from a standing start. Not bad. So they, I definitely think that they will be a force to be reckoned with in twenty twenty six, especially if the wheels fall off the coalition. <laughs> anyway, we'll just see how we go. Uh, so um, yeah, so I will go and have a look at that. Now you can find it too, and I meant, to, I meant to tell. I was just in the middle of telling you, and then I went, got, got sidetracked. Now, you'll find it over at Rumble, which is turning into a really good free speech uh, video uh, form, uh, provider, isn't it, platform. Uh, FreeNZ is Liz's, that's her media company, FreeNZ. And so just look look them up on Rumble and you'll find it. it's the mother of all revelations, M-O, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, what else have we got happening here? We've got the Gisborne Council who apologises, and that's nothing we need to worry about. Um, uh, did I, uh, if you just joined us, a man, he drove his, uh, a digger uh, through the town. Quite a good-sized digger. Looks like a 12-ton digger. I'm looking at it here. Uh, to steal an ATM. That's, um, you know, the automatic teller machine, uh, causing $170,000 in damages. He stole the excavator from his father's building site before ploughing it into the BP service station. I wonder if he's on drugs. I wonder if he, you know, I wonder if he needed to get some drugs, needed the cash to do a drug deal. You know, doing stupid stuff like that. I mean, obviously parents aren't poor. If his dad, you know, got a building site with an excavator, that looking at it, it's not an old one. It looks pretty new. Those things cost, you know, a quarter of a million bucks just for a, for a decent one. So um might come from a good family, but you get on the drugs, boy, this is me anyway. I could click on it and just see it. This is just, this is me surmising. <laughs> okay, so what's happened here? That's a big digger. Oh, well, it's a hired digger, actually. But it's off his father's building site, so it's a, oh, gosh, that's that's going to be bad for the parents. Won't, it didn't do too much damage to the digger. Looks pretty good. Boy, he's messed up the front of the shop, though, trying to trying to get the ATM out. Luke Randall drove the stolen digger through the town to a petrol station where he attempted to steal the ATM machine but instead caused the $170,000 worth of damage before running off. At around 1.30am on May the 16th last year, Randall, who was 35, he wasn't young, he drove to a K&D contracting work site on Queen Street in Wainui Omata, a site owned by his father, where he removed temporary fencing, entered the yard and broke the lock of an Atashi 7-ton. Only a 7, it looks bigger than a 7-ton. Oh, maybe it is. Yeah. Um, a 7-ton excavator, after returning it 
rather, yeah, after turning it on with an unknown tool, I wonder how he did that, he drove the industrial machine across two lanes of traffic towards the BP service station, Forecourt and Wainuiumata Road, before ta- parking it directly in front of the station's ATM. Randall used the boom arm of the excavator to smash the window and crush the roof of the service station before causing further damage in an attempt to get the ATM machine out. But after two minutes, he jumped out of the digger and ran off. So obviously they had it well secured. Uh, You'd need a bit more than a seven-ton digger, I suppose, to pull those things out. Today, the road worker appeared in the Wellington District Court where he faced sentencing on charges of unlawfully taking the excavator and burglary. A charge of willful damage has been withdrawn. And Judge Bruce Davidson noted the $170,000 worth that he caused... uh, and described this, this series of events as quite spectacular and dramatic. <laughs> now, I want to get to the bottom and find out why he did it. Um, defence lawyer Clara Karras, she said that there is a clear nexus between his client's addiction issues. And there you go. That's what I thought. You know, Grant knows. Hey, I can see all the signs. I should have been a detective. <laughs> My father, he was good at that too. He he wanted to be a detective, but he was wasn't tall enough. He had to be six foot, I think, six foot one or something, over six foot anyway. And Dad wasn't quite there. Um, she said, "This is the defence lawyer." She said, "Steps t- uh, taken, uh, steps towards re- uh, rehabilitation and a new uh, job in traffic management had set him on a better path." Judge Davison acknowledged that the pre-sentence reports had shown his willingness to confront his substance issues, substance substance issues, his drug addiction. Just say it like it is. The judges are soft, aren't they? Yeah, they are really soft. Anyway, so that's that one. And what else have we got here? Wellington, Wellington councillors, they question Hwanao's ability to stay in the role. Now, who's she? Well, she is the mayor of Wellington, and she's had two drunken outbursts this year alone. Some councillors have questioned whether that she's fit to remain in office. His name is Tori Hwanau. Some people call her Hwanau. I call her Hwanau. Hwanau with a aspirated WH, which is the way it should be, because it was taught to them by British Protestant missionaries. Uh, she has since admitted to having a drinking problem. She's a drunk. They like to say it's alcohol, don't they? I've got alcoholism turned it into a disease when it's just really you're just a drunk you just can't control yourself there'll be other areas in your life as well where you um you have no self-control following a question being uh, following questions by radio new zealand about the incident in wellington bar this month uh the mayor said that she was embarrassed you should be uh, to discover that she had been filmed <laughs> and she was getting professional help while now has covid19 and so what's that got to do with it? Huanau has COVID-19 and attended a meeting on Thursday morning in the Environment and Infrastructure Committee meeting room, Zoom. Oh, okay. She told RNZ today she has received a lot of support since she had COVID-19. I bet, I bet you she didn't. She just didn't want to show up. Uh, she told Radio New Zealand today that she'd received a lot of support since the latest revelation about her. I wonder if she remembers it. Committee Chairperson Tim Brown opened the meeting by offering the Mayor his personal support. He agrees. Uh, anyway, what about others? 
She needs to focus on her health problems 100%, and we need a mayor who is focused on the city 100%, so I think it's time for her to step down. That was Nicola Young, another councillor. Yeah, it definitely is. Can't have that. I can't believe she's still in the job now. All frontline police should be trained to go to the, to go in towards the sound of gunfire, according to an American. Oh, there's two magpies are back. I could step out and deal to them. We've got a bit too many at the moment. Um, anyway, th- this is what this expert from overseas, he says all frontline police officers should be trained to enter a scene with an active armed offender, according to this American expert in counterterrorism. Told, uh, he, he has told the mosque attack inquest. And a driver has been charged with manslaughter after a pregnant spectator baby dies. Uh, Auckland uh, police. Is it Auckland? I don't know if it is Auckland. Yes, it is. Um, it says here, police have charged an Auckland man with manslaughter after an investigation into the incident that, that occurred while an illegal street race was taking place. Detective Senior Sergeant Dean Beatty said the area of, of investigations manager, oh, he is the area investigations manager for County Manukau's and the East CIB, that's Criminal Investigation Bureau. He said inquiry, inquiries began after an incident around 11pm on May the 19th that occurred at the intersection of Bruce Roderick and Ost- Off- Offenhauser drives in East Tamaki. Oh, well, there we go. She was a spectator. We don't need to know any more details. And that was that's bad news. No sprinklers or alarms in that Tongan church house in Mangaroo Bridge. That's bad, isn't it? Four arrested as police bust illegal drug operation in Wanganui. Thousands of dollars in cash and a kilo of methamphetamine has been seized. And there's been arrests made in what they, the police call Operation Arch. Wellington Zoo are all up and happy. <laughs> They've got a new baby giraffe born, the first one since 2004. And also, Wellington are um, very happy. It's the first time in 150 years they've had a, a Kiwi. Um, this is called the Kiwi Captain Kiwi Project. And uh, they've had a Kiwi that's born, the baby Kiwi, actually in the wild, not actually um, in the Wellington Zoo this time. Uh, and we've got police have been trespassed by entering the... They were entering the property that had a keep-out sign, according to the Police Complaints Authority. They were trespassing. So that's good. We'll get some signs up. <laughs> Everybody better get signs up to keep the council out, keep the keep the um, regional council out from taking your land, coming in and saying, oh, you can't farm, you, you can't run stock on those hills. They're too steep. Oh no, you can't do that. You've got to fence off that stream, which is dry most of the year. You've got to put. It's got to have ten meters setback. And uh, nurses, they say that their members are pretty grumpy. They're taking legal action after the um, late pay, according to uh, New Zealand Health, which RNZ is still calling to Wataura. Um, they say it's a month late and changing the pay rates for nurses who are now taking legal action to seek compensation. Auckland Council Chief Financial Officer resigns. Peter Gudsell, he's going to be leaving in February next year after the, his return um, from holiday. Uh, the team delivered... What did they say? The team delivered the council's 10-year plan. So he's done that, got that out of the way, and then that's it. The government has agreed to cancel Labour's multi-billion dollar light rail plans for Auckland. And also, a local school has closed for the day due to concerns around asbestos in the building. 
And then yesterday we also heard about the ECE, that's the Early Childhood Services, Early Childhood Education. They say that they're running on a knife edge after the environments, uh, uh, rather, oh gosh, after the enrolments dropped and record numbers went out of business. So they're in big trouble. And I, as I said yesterday, I think it's because people don't, they don't really trust any of their kids somewhere else now because of all this rubbish that, um, you know, that Labour were introducing. And I think it was Chris Hipkins' mother that was in the education department bringing in all this stuff like John Money. Hey, we should play that. I should bring that in. At hum- I will too. I'll go and dig that out and you can have a listen to um, the New Zealand education. Uh, so this is the bureaucrats running running things. So National are going to have to get in and sort out the bureaucracy, sort out the government departments, which are still pushing ahead with their um, communist globalist plans. So I'll dig that out. And uh, but let's hear from Douglas Murray right now. Uh, this is uh, this will take us. Um, this will this will take a few minutes. So we'll have a listen to Douglas Murray. He is over in Israel at the moment, and uh, then I'll dig out that Pogues song for you because uh, he's died today. The lead singer of the Pogues, sixty-five years old, died overnight. Not very old, is it? But he was a heavy boozer. That guy, a hard living. The Pogues, Irishman. And um, what was the other thing I was going to do? I don't know, I'll think about it. Uh, Douglas, let's start um, with what's going on over there with you, and then we'll come to this migration story. Uh, A big day tomorrow in this war, a pause, the release of 13 hostages, we believe women and children. Um, What is the feeling about this? You know, many people are saying from a distance uh, that this looks like uh, a sort of slow form of water torture for these poor families. Drip, drip, drip of people being let out. No one knows who it is until the last minute and so on. Agony for these families. Yes, it's, uh, it's an agonising time in Israel. Um, everybody in Israel would like to see the people who were kidnapped on the 7th of October return to their families, uh, what remains of their families in many cases. Um, and it's absolutely agonising. Uh, last night I was with many of the families in Tel Aviv as we were waiting to hear the news of what was meant to be a, an exchange, a handover of some of the kidnapped people uh, this morning. That then didn't uh, happen we're now waiting for it to happen tomorrow morning. We don't know for certain it'll happen. We thought it would happen today. Now it's meant to be tomorrow. Um, it's agonizing for the families. One mother uh, this evening discovered that her two children are not on the list that has been given out uh, to some families telling them that their loved ones are going to be in the release tomorrow. And of course, there are many families. One I was speaking with earlier, their son's 21. He was at the rave and was abducted by Hamas, stolen with three of his friends. He's 21. Uh, It's only people under the age of 18 that are being focused on at the moment. But many of the families feel, you know, they want them all home. And uh, the problem, of course, that Israel is now in is a problem that Israelis know very well, which is the completely unfair exchange of uh, of the hostages. The um, Israeli government is talking about releasing three Palestinian prisoners, that is, people who have, for instance, been sent to prison in Israel for carrying out terrorist offences, uh, releasing three of these people for every one child uh, that Hamas are going to release. And there's an added kick to this. Uh, Sirwan, the head of Hamas in Gaza, who w- was the person who planned and led the operation on the 7th of October that killed 1,400 Israelis and led to these 
Israelis being kidnapped is a man who was himself released in just such a prisoner swap 10 years ago. That was when Israel released more than a thousand people from Israeli prisons, Palestinians from Israeli prisons, and returned them for a single soldier, Gilad Shalit, who Israel, of course, wanted back. Uh, so there's a horrible kicker to all of this, a horrible kicker that we've seen this before, these exchanges. The people being released by Israel are people who stabbed people in the streets, carried out brutal terrorist attacks. They're being returned for children. Douglas, is there any doubt that when this hostage release few days is over, that Israel will go back to attacking Gaza to get at Hamas? Uh, there are some people who hope that perhaps if this goes successfully over the next few days, that it may lead to a more permanent ceasefire. But is there any appetite for that, do you think, in the Netanyahu government? Well, it, it really is a very, very serious conundrum, this, because Hamas is carrying out what you accurate, accurately describe as water torture of the Israelis. It can drip out small numbers of the abducted Israelis, uh, and it knows that, for them, these are golden eggs. Uh, they know how much Israel uh, cares about every citizen who was stolen from their families. They know how much they care. They know how much they can drag out international uh, uh, pressure on Israel to have a ceasefire. They know that they can keep on promising releases and then let down the families again and again. Uh, the problem that Israel has is that Benjamin Netanyahu says that he wants to destroy Hamas. Most Israelis feel, I think, understandably, they cannot live with Hamas. Uh, and yet, of course, as long as Hamas has some hostages, has the people who've been kidnapped, it can try to stop operations going on in the Gaza to destroy Hamas. It's an incredibly ugly equation. But it's one that Hamas has performed before as has Islamic Jihad and other terror groups in the Gaza. Uh, they are playing a game not just regionally but internationally. And, uh, of course, the people who are suffering most are the families who have their loved ones um, in what state we don't know. A small number once again promised to be returned tomorrow. Again, what state they'll be in, we do not know. Mm. Um, but, yes, it's torture for the families. I'm going to be talking to uh, Norma Finkelstein in, in a few minutes. Uh, you've got strong opinions about him. I, I know you're going to stay and just listen to that interview and then react to that after, which I appreciate. Just before I go to the pack, just very quickly, if you don't mind, your reaction to these migration figures in the UK. Massively higher net migration last year than we've been led to believe. Very high again this year. This all from a Conservative government that promised to take back control of the borders and reduce net migration to tens of thousands. Well, obviously, it's a political failure, uh, a generational political failure uh, that's just sped up in recent years. That, that it has happened, as you said, under consecutive leaders who promised that exactly this wouldn't happen is a disaster for Britain. Quite what a disaster it is, I think we can already start to see. Uh, I remember when Giorgio Maloney was described as this far-out, far-right political leader in Italy, and she's now Prime Minister. I remember when Gert Wilders was described as this far-out, far-right political figure who wasn't even allowed into Britain in 2009 by a Labour Home Secretary. And now he's the main party leader in the Netherlands. So if anyone thinks that all of this just glides by endlessly without any political consequence, I'd just say raise your eyes a little 
and look to the continent. Yeah, completely agree. Douglas, I'll talk to you a little later. Thank you very much. Yeah, Paul, I mean, this is, there's a hard reality here. Yes. This migrant problem is not going away. It's getting worse. There are more and more people now coming across the continent trying to find somewhere to go. Um, and you're seeing a, a rise of very right-wing populist leaders now winning elections as voters say, you know what, we need someone to do something about this. Which is why we always have to be careful with the language that we use. Right. So you started with the word, the problem. Mm. There isn't a problem. We actually haven't... You don't think in, we, we increasing population is a problem with the state of our NHS? Our I, I had an experience of the NHS recently, right, with a family member. And it was horrific. Partly horrific and partly great. The horrific part was an A&E. Have you been to an A&E and an NHS hospital recently? I have. It is, I have. It is I've like got three a, children, Piers. It's like a war zone, right? Yeah. And you've got people who've just had heart attacks being left on trolleys in mm. corridors for six, seven hours. I know, because I know who it was, right? Mm. And then you get good treatment once you get through that system. But can we take millions more people in this country? Genuine question. As long so, as I don't, as long as I've got any objection to any individual... Can we sustain that pressure on our already creaking public services? The reason why, so there's two different questions there. It's our creaking public services and can we take more people? Mm. The answer is we need more people. The second answer to creaking public services is we need more people because our public services are creaking. Our government over the last 13 years has failed to protect our public services. I think, our I think government, the issue can I, here... Can I, it's really important to point out... It's really important to point out because I am also worried, as Douglas Murray says, about the rise of the right. And what is happening is, is that we're not being told the truth about immigration. We need more people to come into this country. Our net population is only rising at 200,000 on average over the last three years. That's it, 200,000. Okay. That's, that's, that's twice and, the population of solid. And what we are not being told is why we are unable to cope with the fact that we've got no housing, why the fact that the NHS is crumbling, mm. why the fact that we are going to food banks, why the fact mm. that we our schools are crumbling. That is what we need okay. to look at. Esther? Uh, th the thing is, over 50% of those people, those figures that you've just quoted of the 750,000, they're dependents. So they're dependents of people coming in legally, so workers that have come in. So we're talking women and children mainly who rely on the NHS, mm. education, all of these things. At the end of the day, we have to admit Britain that has... That seems to be a big part of but, but, the but, problem. But that's, that's the issue. Which is not the actual skilled workers that we need, which I yeah. think we totally can all agree mm. on that. It's the number of people that come with them, yeah. right? Family dependence is actually a very large number of people. The thing is, I, I, I understand your point that we need these skilled workers, but mm. at the end of the day, they are not coming mm. without families and dependents who rely on our public services. But also, we have to have a conversation about what Britain is willing to give up in exchange for slowing this migration. We, the reason why the Conservatives haven't tackled this issue is because big business likes mass migration. Absolutely. It has a downward effect on, on wages, so it keeps wages minimally low. We look at GDP figures and we somehow resemble a dynamic and growing and strong economy when that's not the case. We live in a low-wage, low-productivity economy, and that's the bigger issue. At the end of the day, under the, the Labour government of the um, over 13 years of a Labour government, 3.5 million people were allowed into in this country and that was scandalous you know mm. labor yeah. is out of control about what one million people in just two years yes of of, of tory leadership and and so that, that is that is scandalous that's horrifying so, no no it no. is, it it's, is not, it's not scandalous it's, it's not it's, horrifying it's, it's what is required it's, unsustainable. it's what is needed it's not what's needed and, and, I'm let sorry. Me, and let me explain to you why if we do not continue to open our door to healthy young 
people who are going to be able to work going to as an ageing population. Where are they going to live? Ask, right, don't ask me. Here's what I would say. That's true. We need you them. Say who, you say who causes the problem. David Cameron said it would be down to tens of thousands. Completely right? unrealistic. That's why the public believe there's a problem. Yes. Because they hear the Prime Minister say that yes. and now they're seeing nearly a million people come in last which year. Which is where actually... That's not tens of thousands. Which is where I actually agree with Douglas Murray. And I've said many times before, this focus on the small boats was okay. just... A, it was a smoke screen. Well, I think there are two different issues. To trick, to I, think, I think illegal immigration on the small boats has got to be better controlled. It, it clearly is, a, apart from anything else, is an insult to all those who are going through the system legally. Yeah. Uh, but secondly, I, you know, I just don't think you can have successive prime ministers saying, this is a big problem, this net migration. We're going to get it under 100,000, get it down to tens of thousands. And then you see figures like today, where last year alone, 750,000. Yeah. But Piers, immigrants have always been blamed for the ills in society. I'm not well, blaming, I'm not blaming immigrants. immigrants. I'm not We're saying, saying you are. What I'm saying control. is... Well, I, I don't think it is. It is out of control. I don't think it is. It is. And I think it will increase, because it needs to increase. It's out, of, okay. it's out of control by the yardstick set by successive prime ministers who said yes. we have to get it under, under I agree the with tens you. of thousands. Failed the moment language. you say that repeatedly, yes. and then you get these numbers, it looks like it's out of control. Yes. And my experience, I've got to say, of NHS recently, showed me we have big problems with creaking public services. Got to leave it there. Thank you both very much indeed. You'll see this tendency for women to, and I hear older women talk about this too. I just want to do something for myself. And it's funny because when men do selfless things, they're a lot less narcissistic with it and they don't look at it as a burden. They look at it as a duty. Where when women tend to do things like for the family, they look at it as a detriment. They hold resentment to the people that hold back their decision. Okay, 20. Four minutes to seven here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. Now, um, that was interesting, wasn't it? Very interesting indeed. Now, uh, I, we were talking about John Money, and we were talking about the former Prime Minister, uh, Chris Hipkins, and his mother, Rose. She has quite a bit to do with education. She's in the education department, as far as I know. She's pushing for this, um, all these weird changes that we were having. Hopefully, that'll all be overturned with the new government. But it was John Money, who was a pervert that lived here in New Zealand, and then he moved to the United States. We're going to hear from Matt Welsh. Excuse me, I just had a bite of cheese. I shouldn't have done that. Sorry about that. Um, we will hear from Matt Welsh right now, and then we'll also hear from a call from uh, a concerned parent about what's happening with the schools. And he rang News Talk ZB. He spoke to Kerry Woodham. But we'll hear from Matt Welsh first of all. Third point, that's very important is that none of this is new, um, at least not as new as it may seem. The roots of, of modern gender ideology can be traced all the way back to the 19th century, in fact, arguably even earlier than that. But it really began to take its current shape in the mid-20th century thanks to the work of two hideously evil crackpots named Alfred Kinsey and John Money. These are names that everybody should know and few people do. In the interest of time, I'll focus on John Money for just a moment. It's worth looking into Alfred Kinsey, though. Uh, we talk about him in the film a little bit, but an even deeper dive is worthwhile. If you do, in fact, do that, make sure to have a vomit bucket handy. Um, as for John Money, he was a prominent psychologist and sexologist and uh, one, of the, one of the early pioneers of the gender theories that are currently taught in grade schools and universities. He was among the first to take the word gender out of the realm of, of grammar and apply it to people. Because until him, you know, we never said that people have a gender. Well, people have a sex, and gender is, words have gender. 
But he said, no, 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 uh, people have gender and sex. And he coined that. He also coined the terms gender role, gender identity, and sexual orientation. Suffice it to say, he was an extremely influential man, and anybody who propagates left-wing gender theory today is repeating at least some of the ideas of John Money, whether they know it or not, and most of them do not know it. That fact, that fact I think, ought to trouble gender theory proponents because John Money was, among other things, um, a fraud and an abuser and a pedophile. Jumping to 1965, the birth of twins Bruce and Brian Reimer, um, the boys are born healthy except for a condition called phimosis, which affects the foreskin. And it was decided incorrectly, it turns out, that the best way to treat the condition was uh, circumcision. But Bruce's procedure went horribly wrong and his penis was uh, essentially burned off. After several months of grasping for answers, Bruce's parents eventually decided to take him to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore to see the renowned gender uh, surgeon, Dr. John Money. And the good doctor, eager to prove the legitimacy of his theory that gender is a product of environment and culture, recommended that Bruce undergo sex reassignment surgery. So before the age of, uh, of two, the deed had been done, his testicles were removed, some crude approximation of female genitalia was formed, and um, Money instructed his parents to raise him as a girl and said that, well, this will work perfectly because gender is a social construct. So create a social construct of femininity for him and uh, he will be a her and that will be it, happily ever after. Well, not so. The Reimer parents tried to follow Money's advice, but they found that Bruce was still Bruce, even if they called him Brenda. They did everything in their power to preserve his fragile and false female identity. Gender's a construct, they were told. Why should a boy raised as a girl still have boyish tendencies? Still, ultimately, Money was convinced that his project had been a smashing success, and he bragged of his triumphs in many published works. But it was not a success. The female identity never took hold for Bruce. He was confused and miserable and on the verge of suicide until, as a teen, his mother finally told him the truth. Bruce chose immediately to transition back to a boy taking the name of David. Uh, he underwent another reassignment surgery, this time to try and reclaim his true self. And he felt better for a time, but neither his brother nor himself lived happily ever after. Um, ultimately, they both ended up committing suicide. Now, their deaths go down in history as suicides, but they were both effectively murdered by John Money, who's the father of modern gender theory. And that's the birth of gender ideology as we know it today. It was born in abuse and despair and death. And that is what it has reaped ever since. It's clearly unjust. Hang on. So we'll get rid of her. And I want you to hear this call to Kerry Woodham from a concerned parent about our education system. Uh, Gareth, hi. Um, a couple of months ago, I was very concerned about uh, some of the school curriculum. Um, I asked uh, my daughter's school to provide the documents they had around it was specifically relationships and sexual sexuality education, not sexual education. And um, they provided me what they received from the Ministry of Education. And uh, quite frankly, I was shocked. I'm, I'm seriously concerned. I've got two kids school age. I have four under four. Yeah. So I'm very concerned about what they're going to be teaching five-year-olds next year. Um, and just in general, I mean, the, the ministry's documents specifically references the works of John Money. 
John Money was a Kiwi. Yes. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Uh, he was a Kiwi scientist who um, it has never been officially discredited in academia. All his studies appear to be still recognised and built upon. But um, his own works, I mean, his one of his studies, his proposal was that children are inherently sexual creatures. And as part of that study, he made six-month-old babies orgasm, along with many, many other age groups as part of his work. And that is promoted by the Ministry of Education, that we have to incorporate the works of John Money. Really? Yes, it's written there. I can send you the document, Kerry. I've got it right here. John Money? John Money, yeah. It's written specifically in the Relationships and Sexuality Education. Because he did that botched experiment on the twins, remember? Yeah, he's called the father of um, gender identity for taking twin boys. Um, Both been circumcised. One of them had his penis removed as part of a botched circumcision. He raised that child as a girl. Um, He wrote that it was a great success. Uh, Both those boys ended up killing themselves uh, as men. Um, And one of them who was not transitioned, who survived a couple of years later, still heavily taking drugs because he was affected by the experiments. As he would be. Um, yeah, he wrote that. Um, I find that really hard to believe that they would be incorporating anything from him because he also tried to use Depo Provera to suppress sex drive and sex offenders, didn't he? Uh, well, he's done lots of stuff. He's well respected. There's lots of photos out there with him and New Zealand politicians shaking hands. Um, so it kind of comes together why they want to remove biology from the science department when they're promoting the works of John Money, who realistically was a pedophile and used his scientific studies to perpetuate child abuse. And, and as I say, Kerry, he has never been academically discredited. He is still referred to in transgender works to this day. Um, so I, as I say, my kid... They are at a Catholic school. <laughs> I was considering even going to the Muslim school. I've seen some of their documentation around this. The Muslim, uh, I forget, is a parents association. They've put um, warnings out around this topic. Um, you know, but I think homeschool is the only way to go because it says that you must incorporate this gender ideology into every subject in your school throughout the whole year. Well, I mean, I don't have a problem with learning about, you know, gender dysphoria and things like in that. Maths class? In maths class? Well, not maths class, but I mean, not from <laughs> not from the works of John Money. Well, why not? They're not discredited, Kerry. I mean, you would have thought that's the first thing a, a university could do, is go, hey, hold on, children are not inherently sexual creatures. This was abuse. But no, unfortunately, we pretend it's real and we build upon it. Bloody hell. Thank you, Gareth. Uh, News Talk ZB 1122. Um, Now she's just going to go on and read some texts from callers, and uh, we won't play that. Now, uh, that is all very interesting, isn't it? And I hope that all ends. That's got, I, I'm sure it will do. Now, uh, before we go any further, it's um, coming up to 12 minutes to 7, and I want us to hear from Mark Spring. He's, um, some people sent me markspring.com. Um, he's a, a local fellow, New Zealander, and uh, he's got a couple of stories. And the latest one that's just come out is, this is the heading, Triple Dipping by Media Firms During COVID at the Taxpayer's Expense. This came out yesterday by Mark Spring. He says here, fact... The Public Interest Journalism Fund 
was $55 million. Fact, the spend on United Against COVID campaigns was $116,603,499. Fact, NZME print, this is NZME print, they took $364,718 in wage subsidies. Fact, NZME radio took $3,354,606,000 in wage subsidies. Fact, NZME Holdings took $388,179 in wage subsidy. Fact, Stuff took $6,211,233,000 in wage subsidy. The above figures are just a snap of some of the wage subsidies, as many more of the media outlets also took up wage subsidies. This does appear to be the big two. They, they benefit handsomely from the cosy arrangement. But when looked at in terms of how much money was spent to prop up these so-called media outlets, it's staggering, says Mark Spring, to see that they were really triple-dipping. As they had the wage subsidy, they had advertising revenue, along with the access to the public journalism fund. The long-suffering taxpayer has funded all these so-called media outlets to promote a message that suited the government's narrative. Winston Peters was right to call them out, and it was a breath of fresh air to see Prime Minister Chris Luxem backing Peters yesterday. The screenshot below confirms that under Ardern, the audio, as played by Mike Hosking, proves that the Public Interest Journalism Fund was set up to promote her government's ideology. And so if you go over to Mark Spring, that's M-A-R-C Spring, S-P-R-I-N-G dot com, MarkSpring.com, you can see that screenshot there. Mike Hosking played audio of Ardern in conversation with Biden, openly declaring that she set up the Public Interest Journalism Fund to drive the media into pushing her government's ideology. Yes, case closed. Winnie, Winston Peters, was 100% right. Mainstream media proven wrong. The question remains, to answer as the exact, uh, sorry, the, the question remains to, remains to answered? I'm not sure if they've written this properly. As to exactly how good the deal was for the taxpayer on the 106603000 that was spent on COVID messaging, did we get a discount? And what was the rate card versus spend? What was the actual value of the government that the government received for its spend on our behalf? Our sources tell us that the Labour government paid full retail with no questions asked. Our guess is to prop up these ailing media dinosaurs. They need to be broken up really, don't they? The looming investigation in the media and these payouts will need to be scrutinised to every single last cent. Perhaps the taxpayer is due for a refund. Information for the story was taken from an Official Information Act request and the IRD wage subsidy via employer research. Good on you, Mark. And he's got another story here, which has just come out. David Seymour's Chief of Staff and Jenna Lynch. Now, Jenna Lynch, she is with News Hub. And I would say that the ACT Party... 
uh, won't want this out, and nor will News Hub, and nor will Jenna Lynch. It's, he says here, let's not F around, and he didn't use F, he used the full word, let's not F around here, it's a short post. Join the dots. Lynch, via her news outlet, News Hub, is banging on about, well, let's find out, let's click on that. It says here, David Seymour's Chief of Staff and the Jenna Lynch Connection. Let's not F around here. We've got to join the dots. Lynch via, Lynch via her news hub is banging on about Winston Peters, right? Uh, the banging is that's going on is in Lynch's bed, uh, is Lynch's bedfellow, uh, Seymour's chief of staff, Andrew Keatles. And it's time for Lynch and Keatles to disclose their relationship and explain the bias they run towards Winston Peters. Lynch is unhinged about Peters, Silly little girl, this is what Mark Spring says. Seymour should be very careful, as the optics look very much like a hit job by the ACT Party on Winston Peters via Lynch and Keatles. Watch this space. And that's from Mark Spring. And he's got a blog as well. And you can find out all about him. Um, So what does it say about Mark Spring? He's an unabashed, unashamed truth seeker. And there has been too many lies told about me, he says, for far too long, and it's time for me to set the record straight. This site will tell the real unvarnished truth about me and also about those who've been telling lies. And there's a handsome photograph there of him with a very nice pair of sunglasses. And um, that is Mark Spring, without the K, with with a C, Mark Spring. Okay. We'll go back uh, to more news in a moment and see what's what's happening at six minutes to seven. We'll have TNT Radio News at seven, and then we'll check out the weather and see what's happening. It looks like it's going to be okay. Up in the Northland area, it's going to be okay, and then I think it's going to turn to custard. It's clearly unjust what the IDF has been doing to the... Oh, I don't want to hear her. What about Dennis Prager? I was invited to debate the head of the largest atheist organization in the U.S., in Minneapolis about 15 years ago. And I looked at the audience at one point, about 400 atheists, and I said, "Uh, would you raise your hand if you ever doubt your atheism? For example, if you've seen your child born or any child Mm -hmm. born or anything like, or heard a Beethoven symphony, did you ever, do you ever doubt your atheism? Not one hand went up. Mm -hmm. And then I said, you think we religious people don't question ourselves. You don't question yourself. Because every religious person I have ever spoken to, and that's thousands upon thousands, has acknowledged that they doubt their their faith at times and they struggle with it. We struggle, you don't. I asked a guy one time what his TV cost. He said about $450. I said, you forgot to look at the price tag. He said, what do you mean? I knew he was a TV watcher. I said, that television costs you, in my opinion, at least $12,000 a year to watch it, not to own it. Owning it's cheap. Watching it is what's expensive. And I said, hey, $12,000 a year is too much to pay to watch TV. That's too much. Pay a little, but not $12,000. Oh, look, I'm struggling here because I'm not sure what I'm going to... What I'm going to do next? I've got a bit of a choice, actually. Um, well, well, I could go to Sky News and have a look at their Aussie news. We've got a few. Um, always have quite a few uh, Australian listeners. Um, I we've been to Israel, had a look at that. I haven't gone to the IDF today. 
nothing really too much to report there. We've covered covered most of that. We've had a look at international news with Reuters. I'll do a refresh on that. That seemed to be very outdated. I've just done another refresh and just see if it's updated itself. Uh, no, it's uh, something weird going on there with Reuters. It must be blocking me. <laughs> okay, let's have a look at Radio New Zealand. Uh, no, not Radio New Zealand. We'll go to News Hub now, and uh, the heading for the story is the national house prices. They rise in November, but uh, very wildly they do across New Zealand, according to the core logic. Now, um, house prices have risen 0.7% in the month of November, and new listings are starting to pick up too, according to CoreLogic data. Uh, with the flow of new listings uh, ticking along, we're seeing, I'm, I'm surprised at this actually, we're seeing a flattening and perhaps even a slight, uh, what is it, a flattening and even a slight lift, a flattening and a lift. You'll see that sort of like, this is double talk, isn't it? They're saying, oh, it's ticking along, you know, and then it's now it's flattening. Flattening means it's all turning to custard. Um... So what do they say? So that's, yeah, we're seeing the flattening and perhaps even a slight lift. That doesn't make sense. Uh, in properties on the market in recent weeks, said CoreLogic chief economist Calvin Davidson, the minor uptick in listings is good. So the listings are up, but they're not really the house prices. And, oh, I don't know. Um, let's, let's struggle. I'll struggle my way through and see if I can make head nor, head, head nor tail of this thing, make some sense out of it. Uh, so the minor uptick in listings is good news for home buyers, but with more choice in the market, however, uh, sellers will face more competition. That is true. The average house price nationwide is now $915,000. Good grief. It's the second month in a row of rising prices in CoreLogic's data after rising 0.4% in October. Nationwide average prices rose 1.1% over the past three months. But they're still 12.3% below the record highs of early 2022, which went crazy, didn't it? House prices bottomed out in September this year after falling 13.2% from the peak, according to Davidson. Around the country, Davidson said November's price uptick opened across the main... Is this what the, the price of houses they're selling for or the price that they've got them on the market for? I don't know. We'll find out, I suppose. Um, it says this month's results serve as a further reminder that the upturn may not be all well, one-way traffic, he said. What does all this mean? Um, the patchiness in property values by sub-region, even though wider market average have started to turn around, could well remain a feature in the coming months in Auckland and elsewhere too. The main centres, Dunedin, and they've used a Murray name, saw the the biggest price gains up 1.9%, Auckland 0.7, Hamilton 0.9, Tauranga 7, Wellington 0.9, uh, sorry 0.7 it was in Tauranga, Christchurch 0.7 and 1.9 in Dunedin. Elsewhere, Queenstown prices were up a strong 3.2% and Gisborne prices jumped 1.9%. Uh, the other main centres saw modest increases but prices fell in Whangarei minus 0.9%, and in Rotorua, minus, uh, minus 0.6%. Uh, both are high crime areas. Shocking shocking crime. Maori crime, too, has, has to be said. Uh, growth was consistent across um, Auckland, but the standout was North Shore, 
with prices there they rose 1.8%. Meanwhile, prices fell in Manukau, minus 0.3, more more high crime. And in Papakura, more high crime, minus 0.4. I think people are heading away from the crime areas, aren't they? In the capital, Wellington, house prices rose 1.5% in both Porirua and also Lower Hutt. Porirua prices have jumped by a whopping 5% over the last three months. The momentum may not be maintained, but for now, Porirua is certainly showing some steady gains. Mortgage rates. Signs are pointing to a peak in mortgage rates. What does that mean, a peak? That means they're ending, is it? Uh, yeah, peak, peaking, yeah, according to Davidson. Despite some elevated volatility in the global financial markets, the labour market is still relatively robust. And net migration inflows remain very high, which I don't think is good, because where are they all coming from? Oh, boy. Um, He said the new government might bring in more confidence to the housing market, but any changes to the Brightline test or mortgage interest deductibility won't happen overnight. Now, Brightline, for those that don't know about it, oh, I've got news. Oh, sorry. Here's the news. (laughs) But who prioritized American interests in doing so? and sought to create stability that would ultimately work to America's advantage. Kissinger's great achievement was to split communist China from the Soviet Union. He engineered a thaw in relations that saw President Richard M. Nixon, who had built his political career as a tough anti-communist, visit China in 1972. Condemned by the left for his handling of the final years of the Vietnam War, Kissinger was also accused of encouraging a right-wing coup in Chile, an Indonesian invasion of East Timor, and the dirty war against dissidents in Argentina. The humanitarian ceasefire between Israel and Hamas was extended early Thursday morning, shortly before the six-day truce was set to expire. The Israeli Defense Force announced on X, the operational pause will continue in light of the mediator's efforts to continue the process of releasing the hostages and subject to the terms of the framework. The announcement came minutes before the expiration of the truce. The conditions of the ceasefire, including the halt of hostilities and the entry of humanitarian aid, remain the same. Qatari Foreign Ministry spokesman Majid bin Muhammad al-Ansari said the one-day extension was agreed upon under the same previous terms. In Ottawa, the Crown is expected to lay out its case for why evidence against one Freedom Convoy organizer should apply to the other in the criminal trial of two of the protest leaders. Tamara Leach and Chris Barber are co-accused for their role in the 2022 demonstration that blocked streets around Parliament Hill for weeks in protest of COVID-19 public health restrictions. The Crown alleges that the two worked together so closely they should be considered co-conspirators in the trial. The pair's lawyers have opposed the allegation and say that planning a protest together isn't inherently illegal. The prosecutors say that just because the protest wasn't violent, that doesn't make the organizers' actions lawful. The Crown closed its case in trial last week, but the defense is seeking a ruling on the conspiracy allegation before it calls any evidence. German authorities said on Wednesday they've arrested two teenagers, one in North Rhine-Westphalia and one in Brandenburg, on suspicion of planning and preparing an attack on a Christmas market. North Rhine-Westphalia Interior Minister Herbert Ruhl said the two teenagers, one 15 and one the other 16 years old, were arrested on suspicions of planning an attack on a Christmas market, but declined to name the market in question. Brandenburg Interior Minister Michael Stubgen said in a statement that Brandenburg police arrested a Russian youth who was suspected of having prepared an attack. A source close to the matter, who declined to be named, said the 16-year-old was a Russian citizen from Chechnya. 
On Wednesday's broadcast of Newsmax TV's The Record, Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz volunteered to be a witness against Harvard University in investigations into the school over anti-Semitism on campus. Well, first of all, I want to volunteer publicly on your show to be a witness against Harvard University. I have been associated with Harvard University for 60 years. I am an insider. I am a whistleblower. I know everything that Harvard has done, probably more than any human being on the face of the earth, in relation to Jews since the day I got there in 1964. I also wrote articles about Harvard's attitude toward Jews and quotas going back to the beginning of the, 19th, of the 20th century. So I want to testify against Harvard and let the public know the truth about how these administrators, the first thing Harvard has to do is abolish, as every university must do, abolish this billion-dollar bureaucracy of diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. It's against diversity. It only wants diversity of skin color, not of ideas. It's against equality. Equity is the opposite of equality. And it's against inclusion. It explicitly excludes Jewish students and Asian students. This is a TNT Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Okay, it is six minutes past seven here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast, and that was the TNT Radio News. We're going to have more of that at eight o'clock. And now we are going to have a look at weather. Let's do that, shall we? And we'll look at the extremes first of all, and uh, Auckland, Manukau has the warmest temperature at this hour of the morning, just gone seven o'clock. Uh, they've got 14.6. It's dropped off a little bit, a little bit cooler than it was. Tianao is uh, 2.1 degrees. That's the lowest in the country. The windiest place to be is Wellington's Lyle Bay, 31 kilometres of wind per hour. And the wettest place is Lower Hutt in Wainui Amata, 1.3 millimetres of rain pouring there per hour, that is. Temperatures right across the country. Stewart Island on 9 degrees, Invercargill 5, Dunedin 8, Timaru 9, Chatham Island's 11, Queenstown's on 6, Trans Joseph's on 7, a bit warmer up the coast on the west coast there to Westport 10 degrees, Nelson 13, Blenheim's on 12, Christchurch a little cooler with 9 degrees. In the North Island, the capital city, Wellington has 9, 9 degrees, no, 10 degrees now, Masterton's on 9, Napier 14, Palmerston 13 along with New Plymouth, all 13 degrees, a little bit warmer in Gisborne, 14 degrees for you. Taupo and Rotorua on 11 and 9 degrees. Tauranga's on 12. Hamilton's on 11. Auckland is 15. Whangarei and Kaitaira 13 and 12 degrees. The short forecast for northern to Waitomo, including the Coromandel Peninsula. Long fine spells, a chance of a late shower for inland Waikato and Waitomo. For the Bay of Plenty, Taupo and Taumarunui. Mainly fine weather, isolated showers this afternoon or evening. For Gisborne, Hawke's Bay, cloudy periods, scattered showers at times. For Taranaki to Wellington, including Taihapi, also for the Wairarapa, partly cloudy with isolated showers becoming fine in the afternoon. For the South Island, Buller and Nelson, also for the Westland area, mainly fine weather, isolated, isolated afternoon and evening showers inland. For Marlborough and Canterbury, often cloudy, isolated showers clearing this afternoon with fine breaks increasing. Fiordland, Otago and Southland, mainly fine weather. Areas of morning cloud for you. And finally for the Chatham Islands, showers clearing uh, late morning and then it's going to be fine weather. Should we look ahead and see what's happening for Saturday? Tomorrow for the North Island, partly cloudy with isolated showers. For the South Island, rain developing in the west. Nelson and West 
uh, Western Marlborough becoming heavier later. Occasional showers for Southland and Clutha, high cloud and a few spots of rain elsewhere. On Sunday in the North Island, rain becoming widespread and possibly heavy. For the South Island, heavy rain in the west and north, easing later, showers developing elsewhere possibly heavy. Back to work on Monday in the North Island, showers possibly heavy about the central ranges. Clearing north of Hamilton, for the South Island on Monday, showers becoming isolated in the north and east and clearing south of Canterbury. And the Chathams, you've got southerlies, southwesterlies rather, turning to northerlies on Saturday in the afternoon. And it's going to be coming fresh on Sunday with rain developing. And then the rain is going to clear on Monday and it's going to turn to fresh southwesterlies. That's the long-range forecast of a weather for you chaps. Now, we've got Mark Morano now and then we're going to have a look and see what's see if there's any new changes to the news to the new to the fake stream media of RNZ News Hub. What do you think about that Mark Spring story about the link between the chief of staff and the Act Party? Uh what's his name? Keetle, is it? I think it is. And uh, Gina Lynch from News Hub. Mm. TNT Radio's Mark Morano. Where do we stand in 2023? How is it coming? Because we were promised for decades that solar and wind were cheaper, the prices were dropping every day, and all we needed to do was get rid of fossil fuels and solar and wind would take over and we would have this energy utopia. We're in the renewable energy subsidy paradise right now. It's just been growing and growing. During the Obama presidency, the federal government was spending about $15 billion a year on renewable subsidies dropped down to about eight during the Trump administration. Now it's back up to about 15 and to 17. And the Inflation Reduction Act is promising something like 40 to 50 billion dollars a year in subsidies. It just is remarkable. Uh, but this net zero idea is is beyond a reach out. It's even beyond a wish and a prayer. It really is impossible to transform society this way. It's all going to come crashing down in a green breakdown over the next two decades. The Mark Morano Show on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Just gone 10 past 7 here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with me, Grant Edwards. Thanks for joining me. And before we went to the news with TNT, we were looking at mortgage rates and we were over at newshub.co.nz and uh, we were listening to a fellow called Davidson. He is, uh, I think he's involved with Core Logic. And uh, to do, he, we've just got up to the mortgage rates part here. It says the signs are pointing to a peak in mortgage rates, according to Davidson, despite some elevated volatility. Uh, in global financial markets, the labour market is still relatively robust and a net migration inflows, they remain high as well, very high. We're all bringing in all these Asians, these Indians from overseas. 40%, I think it is, 40 or 50% of our nurses now are Indian. <laughs> oh, that's just great, isn't it? Ah, oh, dear, oh, dear. Wow, wow, wow. It all started. And it's, it's happening all over the world, isn't it? The problems with, and it's all, it's all, it all relates back to the COVID the COVID mandates really people just got annoyed and said well I'm leaving I'm not taking a fake jab and I'm not wearing a mask and um, and they just left and also here in New Zealand they go off to Australia as well because they get paid a bit more over there so you've got to wear a mask or you might as well wear you know you might as well get paid extra for that um, now this guy Davidson he said this is core logic he said that the new government might bring in more confidence to the housing market but any change to the bright line test which is the test which means for mainly uh, investors and landlords, when they buy a property, they've got to hold on to it for two years. Now, Labor changed that, and I think they made it 10 years. Pretty sure that's what they did. And National are saying they're going to turn that round. And also, the mortgage interest deductibility for landlords and investors 
uh, that's going to um, that's going to help, but it won't happen overnight, according to Davidson from Core Logic. In any case, the restraint of higher mortgage rates isn't about to alter dramatically. David said sales are growing in percentage terms, but the market hasn't yet roared back to life because credit conditions are still rough. He says even if mortgage rates don't rise much further or even dip a bit. In the long-term fixed rates, that's a dip a bit in the long-term fixed rate, they're still high. The serviceability testing remains a significant hurdle too. Loan-to-value ratio, they call that LVR, the restrictions are also limiting banks from issuing lots of low-deposit loans. He says, although first-home buyers are certainly taking advantage of that speed limit, what does that mean, of that speed limit, where they can, what, can what? They can buy, can I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, maybe I'm thick. I possibly am. Uh, time is 14 minutes past seven. Now we're on, now he looks at the market outlook. House prices are likely to keep rising in the coming months. I don't know about that. Farms are going to take a dip, especially if the the new rules for grazing come in. That's just going to devalue. Wow, that's just going to knock out the prices of farms. I mean, gosh, well, you know, we've got a lot of hill country here. There's no way we would pay what we paid for this if we knew. If we knew in advance, I think it's shocking that they can just just throw this on you. There should be, you know, should be say like in ten years' time, this is what this is what the plan is, or twenty years' time. And so then you'd go think twice about it, wouldn't you? Oh, I don't know if we'll buy that. We won't be able to graze stock on seventy percent of the property. Wow, that's going to hit hard. You know, here we only graze really just to pay the rates. That's what that's all about, and a bit of meat for the table. Um, so he says um, he added that house affordability is still stretched for many across the country, while mortgage rates they look to set uh, set to remain higher for longer. Borrowers rolling over into higher mortgage rates in the coming months could be at future risk, especially if we did start to see some job losses coming through in 2024. Right now, according to Davidson, it's hard to see the market quickly shaking off the weight of high mortgage rates. So that is that is uh, him, and uh, and there's another story here which I might read. I might not, might could be an old one, so I might not read that. Let's have a look. When did that come out? Uh, that came out yesterday, and I think we covered that one. So we'll we'll leave that, and uh, we'll go across to nothing new happening at um, stuff. Same old stories there. News Hub. Let's see if they've got anything new. We'll go to New Zealand News and see if there's. Anything new year, new new there. Now, what have we got here? Uh, make every drop count. Aucklanders are warned to conserve water heading heading into the dry summer. They know it's going to be dry. There's a very unpopular uh, here. The Auckland Council's their proposal to move from a weekly to a fortnightly rubbish collection is proving very unpopular with the the locals, uh, Aucklanders, and also some councillors too. It's, it's just a stupid idea. I don't know why they would be thinking about doing that. Four people, uh, four crashes in one day across the country yesterday and last night. Several people have been injured and uh, definitely warming <laughs> climate change. Why climate change is making it harder to eat nutritious foods. Uh, you can read that story if you like. I can't be bothered because I know it's just absolute disinformation. And... Um, I don't want to have a bar of it. Now, looking at Labour, Labour the Labour Party, bullying allegations don't stop, according to, um, the, the, this is Anders, Anderson, that's her name, uh, they don't stop her rather from climbing the ladder in Labour, so she still seems to be doing well in this failed Labour Party, and apparently she's a bully. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't take that with a grain of salt. Gosh, you, and as far as the left are concerned, everybody's a bully. I'd be the biggest bully out, apparently. 
And in Wellington, councillors are calling for the Wellington Mayor to resign after her uh, drunkenness. They didn't call it that. They called it her alcohol problem admission. No, she's a drunk and she needs to resign and then get herself some help. Uh, pull herself together. It's all up to you, really. You can't stop drunk, drunks from drinking. You can do everything. You, you just can't. They've got to want to stop. And sometimes they have to reach rock bottom. And this should this is an ideal opportunity. And why should it be at the Wellington taxpayers, you know, what's, what's, what ratepayers are? Why should it be at the Wellingtonians' Um, expense. Hipkins rips into Luxon, oh old chippy, little chippy there, what does he say? Into his handling, into Luxon's handling of Peter's media comments. He says the government policy is dangerously close to uh, their policies, dangerously close to endorsing conspiracies. Oh, rubbish. That's it. See, this is nonsense. They're just a pack of lies, those leftists. And we heard from Mark Spring, didn't we, just before? What did he say about it? Let's just, let's just refresh your memories. The government was triple dipping. The, uh, rather, the media were triple dipping during the COVID uh, at the taxpayers' expense. This is what Mark Springs says, and he and he mentions all the facts. That there, the public journalism fund was fifty-five million. Then they got one hundred and sixteen million six hundred for the spend on United Against campaigns. This is this is all media spending. Uh, NZME, that's they owned some. That they owned um, uh, News Talk ZB. What else do they own? And the New Zealand Herald. They got a $364,700 in wage subsidy. Uh, Radio, or NZME Radio, also took a $3,354,000 wage subsidy as well. And then uh, NZME, which is the same company, they took, this is the holdings, they took another $388,000 in wage subsidy. And then Stuff took $6,211,233 in wage subsidies. And so uh, he says that there is a screenshot here that Mike Hosking played the audio of Ardern. And uh, this is um, someone called John O'L, and it's on X. And you, if you go over to Mark Spring, with, without the K, it's got a C in it, markspring.com. You can see this for yourself. It says here, Mike Hosking played audio of Ardern in conversation with the U.S. president. doesn't say that, but it is. It's Joe Biden openly declaring that she set up the Public Interest Journalism Fund to drive the media into pushing her government's ideology. Yes, case closed. Winston Peters was 100% right. Mainstream media proven wrong. So um, I would say to you, Chippy, I'll just find you, where are you? I would say that Chris Hipkins, you are a liar. You know very well. You were flatmates with Jacinda Ardern in the UK. You know exactly what's going on. And you are a liar saying that the government's policies are dangerously close to endorsing conspiracies. There's no conspiracy at all. When people claim conspiracy or misinformation, when you see the media going, oh, that's misinformation, it's usually not. That's what we found. I was talking to John Ansel yesterday, and he says when they start saying this, and the media is saying things like, instead of saying uh, that um, you know the National Party uh, have been accused of, they say the National Party are using conspiracy theories, or the National Party you know, are spreading misinformation. They are actually saying it. The media, that's not your position to be doing that. You can report the news, but you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be actually making the news. And uh, so, wow, we, we've got to, and really I think you've got to go back to where these journalists come from, where they're, they're learning this stuff from leftist ideologies in the, in the schools that they attend, in the journalism schools. That's where it all comes from. And I would think that you've probably, and this is what um, Jordan Peterson was saying, 
it's sometimes it's pretty hard to get a job or even get into a university and study certain courses. I think the one in psychiatry, you've basically got to be a leftist, you know, a communist before you can even be um, enrolled in these schools. And that's that's getting pretty bad. And it's going to go that way with doctors um, because all the good doctors have left. We've got now all the great doctors have, have left and we're left with state doctors. So it's horrendous. And then we've got, what did I read the other the other month where we're going to lower the bar for medical school to help the Maoris get in. There's nothing wrong with Maoris. They're pretty bright. They're not stupid and they don't need, you know, you don't need to lower the bar to help people that aren't quite so bright, regardless of the colour of their skin. It's got nothing to do with it. But they're going to lower the bar and only this, um, this is racism. So those that have got, you know, 5% or 10% Maori blood in them, or no such thing as Maori blood, all the blood's the same, but, you know, they can trace the, you know, what is it, through DNA or something. Um, just got a tinge. <laughs> what was it, Willie Jackson? Yesterday, he's got, he's Jewish and Chinese. He's got more of that than he has Maori in him, according to the, um, the report yesterday that I read out. Uh, it's just um, crazy. Anyway, um should we get on to sport now? Uh, Baker. Oh, well, look at him. Incoherent. Baker is baffled by the government's World Health Organization policy. I wonder why he is. He is such a worrywart, that guy. Public health expert. He's an expert, is he? Uh, this is a news hub story. So that'll be angled to in favor of him and against the new government. The government is definitely on the attack. Sorry, the um, the media, the mainstream media are definitely on all the ones that took the funds, you know, that really double-dipped and triple-dipped, according to Mark Spring, they're really attacking Labour National at the moment. And it's kind of good to see, in a way. So here's Jenna Lynch, actually. So let's have a listen to this story. This will be good, and it'll be case in point uh, that we'll be able to prove uh, what Mark Spring was talking about in his report. Let's have a listen to this. This is uh, by Russell Palmer of Radio New Zealand. Uh, a public health academic, Michael Baker, is baffled by the new government's incoherent approach to the world health organization then they really should be writing it this way that um that uh the public health that michael baker it's reported that michael baker is baffled blah 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 by the new government's approach i suppose that's what they did do here let's listen to this they've always got the volume down way too low 22 minutes past seven and we'll go to news hub and we'll have a listen to this and i can see jenna lynch there in the background is now ticking on the new government's plan to carry out what they say will be real change and the first I'll have to help the volume out is going off in a hundred days news Hub political reporter Jenna Lynch joins us for more on this live from Parliament Jenna how crucial is it that they and remember that Jenna Lynch's boyfriend or partner is uh, the chief of staff for the act party and she's really got it in for Winston Peters this bird take off a whole lot of promises before that alarm goes off yeah, absolutely crucial. Remember, this, uh, these parties gave Labour hell for not being able to deliver. So they have put forward a 49-point plan for its first 100 days. And quite cleverly, a lot of the stuff is begin work on or start to make progress on. So not super measurable against an actual outcome. A lot of the stuff also is repealing a lot of what Labour has done. So Three Waters is going to be scrapped within the first 100 days. The Yay. RMA reforms, Yay. Light Rail in Auckland is Yay. going to be stopped. The government's going to uh, get itself out of the let's get Wellington moving 
housing project, the Good. fair pay agreements, all of these things that Labor yep. signed up to, the government right. is going to reverse action on those. The 100-point plan uh, aligns quite a lot with what National announced during the election campaign as its, but obviously with those added on policies and priorities of the two other coalition partners. So is it fair to say it's kind of more a plan to put a whole lot of stuff in the bin rather than putting new things on the shelves? Uh, negative. negative. Look, look, there is a lot of stuff in here that they want to start doing, like start making progress towards extending breast cancer screening up to the age of 74. There's stuff about uh, making a, a... Well, she's starting to sort of improve herself after this uh, Mark Spring because there's no, there's no doubt she wouldn't... There is no doubt that she wouldn't have read that story by now priority track for emergency housing tenants to get out of those emergency motels and into houses as well but uh, I think 20 or or so of the 49 are undoing some of the stuff that Labor has done. There are some so so three three points in the plan is to rebuild the economy, to restore law and order and to deliver better public services and in that better public services stuff is where you're finding a lot of the uh, other coalition partners stuff, some uh, policies that probably haven't been talked about too much during the election campaign, like uh, there is a policy in here to lodge a reservation against adopting amendments to World Health Organisation health regulations to allow the government to consider these against the national interest test. That wasn't talked about a lot during the campaign. That is a a policy that came from New Zealand first, and the reason it's made it into the 100-day plan is that we need to lodge that reservation before the 1st of December, so the clock is well and truly ticking on that one. That's going to have to be done well within the first 100 days. When I asked Christopher Luxon about that policy yesterday, he didn't really have, I guess, a justification for the policy itself, more a justification for the reason it made it into the 100-day plan that that uh, December 1st deadline was looming. Part of the negotiations. Um, also, um, we are slightly running out of time, but I do just want to ask you, uh, Christopher Luxon has had to spend a lot of these um, last few days, rather than talking about their plan, actually talking about the comments that Winston Peters has been making. Do you think he has handled that situation well so far? I don't know if there's ever really a good way to handle trying to explain Winston Peters' comments when you're the leader of another party. Jacinda Ardern struggled to do it when she was Prime Minister as well. But basically what Christopher Luxon did yesterday was say that uh, to the public that the three different party leaders are going to say things differently during this term of government. He set the standards, set the expectation that um, he is not necessarily going to pull them into line if they step outside of what the government's kind of narrative or their story that they are trying to push is he's not going to try and tame a Winston Peters or tame a David Seymour uh, and pull them back to tow the party line because they are in different parties. He says it's a three-way coalition. He said actually that he partly agreed with some of what Winston Peters was saying, that um, there is a perception caused um, through the public interest journalism fund, uh, but he (laughs) wouldn't have put it the way that Winston Peters did. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yep. All right. Uh, that is very interesting, isn't it? Yes, it is very interesting. So we'll um, we'll move on and uh, let's see if I've got any more news for you from News Hub. Uh, we've got Michael Baker. He says it's incoherent. Oh, that's, what we, oh, that's right. Baffled by the government's world health policy. I think it's great. I think it's absolutely great. Now we'll go to, go to sport. And um, oh, maybe maybe I will have a sports jingle. I'm actually working with a guy in the UK at the moment, and he's going to do a complete refresh of uh, they call it radio imaging, 
And so we're going to have, uh, oh, I think, fifth, all these brand new things happening. So poor old Mary Jane, she won't be doing a... Uh, we're changing the name as well. We're going from the wireless. It's just going to be called uh, Liberty NZ. That's going to be the name of our radio station. And there's no need to really mention that we are a radio station. Everybody knows that, don't they? They're tuning into us. Um, well, let's go over to cricket now. Uh, and it was the cricket and the sport because one of them, one of those imaging things is um, sport. They give you sports, you know, jingles or whatever it is. I don't understand all the stuff. I've been out of radio for too long. And they've got all these terms, but this guy's a really expert at it, and he's been 25 years, and he's got a great voice. He does character voices as well. I'm trying to encourage John Ansell to get onto Fiverr. Uh, that's where I found these uh, people. That's absolutely amazing what you can find on Fiverr. Very professional people there, writers and voiceover people. and It's just amazing. Fiverr is spelled F-I-V-E-R-R.com, Fiverr.com. You just go on and open an account there. It's free. And uh, you can set yourself up, and you've got a worldwide audience. And uh, so John does incredible character voices. He can do King Charles. We must get him on the program. Um, he can do Bill Gates. Um, he's working on Christopher Luxon at the moment. It's a difficult one. Slightly sort of a gay-sounding voice, isn't it? Slightly sort of a feminine. A bit like John Key, isn't it? I can't do it. hes I thought I was good at character voices, but he's unbelievable. My sister, she's very good. She's radio as well, and she's she's very good at it, but she can't do... I've said, come on, you've got to be able to do Jacinda Ardern. She can't do Jacinda. She says, I've tried. That's one of the ones I can't do, but she can do a lot of other ones. Uh, okay, so we're at still at... Um, we're over now at... So we're looking at sport, and we're with News Hub still, and the Black Caps are under pressure as Bangladesh build the lead on the th- day three. Captain Namur Hassan Santo, he scored a century to help push the host's advantage beyond 200 runs in the first test at Silhet. I don't know, is that how you say it? Silhet. Silhet, looks like. Uh, and then there's, oh, there's a whole heap on cricket there, so I've gone and turned, I've got the whole page on cricket. Uh, what else have we got? We've got a shocking video has emerged of online to, on online of two men viciously fighting uh, in Auckland in a road rage incident. I have a quick look at that. I can't show it, unfortunately. Oh no, it's got it goes to an ad. It's going to take forever. Uh, Kiwis allegedly involved in a violent attack of Australian man Matthew Stevenson outside a Bali nightclub. Oh, here, here it is. Here, I'm just, let me have a look at it. Oh yeah, they're having a good old go, kicking a punch. Oh wow, they're really getting into it, both of them. Oh, yeah, they're, they're both pretty good. Actually, they're as good as any boxer. It's yet one guy's doing a bit of kickboxing there. Uh, the other guy's not doing it. He's fighting quite cleanly, really. The guy that got out of the car, he's got a bit of a pot belly, though. But he's doing quite well, uh, actually. Very well. He starts off by with the door. But the other guy's a real... Um, he looks like a, a Maori gang member. And he's quite a good... Quite, he's a bit taller, and he's having... <laughs> I missed that. There... <laughs> Uh, I must, uh, so maybe tomorrow, may, or maybe, no, it's not going to be tomorrow now. Uh, we'll do that on Monday. I might put that one up, and you can all have a look at it. It's actually a pretty good fight, actually. But really, I, I'm not condoning fighting. Road rage is a terrible thing. But these two guys, they look like they were, you know, into it. It wasn't, it looked like a fair fight to me. Um, <laughs> they were giving as good as each other got, except I didn't like the one using his feet. So they need to get the terms of you know, of the fight sorted out. Now, what are we going to do? Are we going to boxing style, or are we going to do bo- kickboxing? What's it going to be? And um, but anyway, they were both giving each other a fair old pounding, and it didn't look like anyone was worse off. They were, I bet they'll have a few, a bit of a sort, a few punches, a lot of head punches going on. Yeah, um, I reckon a good old thump in the in the kidneys is the way to go. 
<laughs> they always they always forget about that. They want to punch you in the head, don't they? They always love punching in the head. It's a terrible place to punch somebody because you end up hurting yourself, <laughs> hurt your knuckles. You don't really want to do that. I think it's quite a like a it's like a like hitting a coconut, isn't it? I would um I wouldn't do that. Anyway, if I was younger anyway, but now that I'm old and I wouldn't be able to defend myself. I actually lock I'm after I had my fall last year, I'd be I'm very frail. You know, it's taken I fell over lifting a big lump of steel, eight meters long, uh four I was a what was it four four by four, which is a hundred mils by hundred mils, five mil thick, almost quarter of an inch thick. Weighed it, weighed a lot. My son was on the other end. Silly thing we did, and then I tripped holding onto it. I didn't want to drop it because he was on the other end. Didn't want him to get hurt. It was majorly big. It would have really done some damage. Uh, and I f- sort of fell backwards with it, and I was kept holding onto it. And I did the splits, and I oh, gave myself some hernias. Uh, which seemed to be healing all right on their own. Didn't bother about getting anything done. Just you know what they say. Oh, they want to rush you into surgery, don't they? Except oh, just just trying to see a doctor, trying to see a specialist. Gosh, that was hard. Got no help from the government whatsoever. They were hopeless. Uh, didn't get any ACC. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure what the reasons were for that. You know, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered even ringing them. It just um, makes me angry. Makes the blood boil. Talking to these um, half wits when you ring them up and ask them for things. Government departments can't stand it. Uh, just stay away. Had some, have got plenty of funds, so we didn't have to worry about um, running out of dosh. Uh, but I had to stop work for almost a year. Uh, the last trailer that I built was a, a fairly big one, nine point six plus a drawbar. And uh, that one took me three months. I would normally build that in less than two weeks. So it really slowed me down. But it was a silly thing. I, I tripped over some dunnage, which is just the wood that, that, you know, just short bits of wood that were used to put, to lay things on. So you can get the fork forks under from the fork hoist you can get in underneath. That's why we do that. It's called dunnage. And I tripped on it. It was quite a high piece, actually. It was about 100 by 100 rough sawn bit of dunnage. And I didn't see it. I was walking backwards. Pretty dumb. Yeah, I'm not as agile as I was, um, and I sort of fell back against the wall with it. I mean, just but I was in the squat position, and it really did some damage to me. And it's only, it's it's only now really, and it's and I developed these horrible aches and pains all over my whole body. And I don't know whether I was sort of leaking some some internal injuries or whatever. But um, I didn't want to have CT scans because I did research on that, and they 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 dish out. I don't know if you're aware of this. Those CT scans dish out. For uh, two hundred times an average chest X-ray, and when I spoke to the surgeon, the uh, in private, he said, "You know, it's funny you should mention that because we were just—I was just talking to a colleague yesterday, and yeah, they do—they give out this what they call ionized radiation, which is very dangerous. I mean, everyone ducks for cover, don't they? Put the lead aprons on and run around behind the lead wall when they give you a chest X-ray. But imagine two, one scan two hundred times. This is on average. Some are more than two hundred times." And they say it's a big scam. And here in New Zealand, it's about nearly $2,000 to get a CT scan. If you didn't have cancer before, when you're going in to check to see if you do have cancer, because <laughs> they use it for that, uh, you probably have it <laughs> after getting a few doses of that. And what a price. And they say it's a scam. And apparently in the United States, I don't know if it's happening here, probably, and probably in Australia and Canada as well, the doctors are on the take. They get a sort of a kickback. And some of them have got shares in the radiology clinics and you never have you ever seen a, a run-down radiology clinic? Never. They're all flash, aren't they? You walk in there and they flash as flash, you know, because they're putting the money back. They don't want to pay too much tax, so they put it into flash buildings and all beautifully done out and all new gear, all this expensive equipment. 
and I, I think when I when I went earlier in the year, I was going to I was going to I cancelled in the end. I did a, and then when I rang up, I've actually got a recording. And I must play it one day. I rang them up and said, "This is what I've heard. That you know that it's don't." So how much? No, I didn't actually. I didn't let on that I knew what I knew. I just said, "How much? I how safe is it?" She said, "Oh, it's as safe as having a cell phone in your pocket." which is an absolute lie. I said, could I speak to the radiologist, please? And they rang me back, and I recorded them. And they said pretty much the same thing. And so, and that is just not true. Uh, apparently between 50, up to 50%, they say at least 30%, and up to 50% of these uh, CT scans that are ordered are unnecessary. And the surgeon that I went to for my um, hernia thing, um, he said that why would we why would we order them? He said there's no need to. I can do investigation. Um, I can do a physical examination. I don't need to be doing CT scans. So he was he was really um, on the yeah, he was he was agreeing with me that he thinks there's something dodgy about them. Um, he didn't say too much. He's kind of guarded. You know they've got to be careful what they say. And uh, so 200 times the average chest X-ray. This is 200 times the amount of ionized radiation, which is not not healthy. And they did some another report I read where they had a whole bunch of kids and they followed them for over a 10-year period and they were giving them CT scans, apparently. I don't know. I don't know how they did it. Not quite sure of the details, but apparently there was quite a high percentage of them actually developed cancer, these kids that were having regular CT scans. And when you go in, when you've got cancer problems if you they say you've got cancer they diagnose you with something and they think it might be a lot of the things that they find in the in the mammograms and other things they actually can disappear and so people rush off you know and the the, the old butchers the the um, surgeons they make a fortune cutting you up c- cutting your breasts off and they god it's unbelievably bad what they do they actually you know they take your nipple out you know and then they then they want to give you uh, all this other stuff uh, these um, I don't know whether they're silicon or, or whether they're saline. I think they're saline now, um, and and a lot of people develop kind of allergies after they've had them. And of course, a, they just stonewall you and say, "Oh no, it's nothing to do with that." But I know one woman who's had a mis- double mastectomy, and she had um, a saline solution uh, breast implant, and uh, as a result. Uh, she's got a really severe allergy, you know, just a rash all over, just itching crazily. I don't know how she puts up with it. And that's as that's after that. And I, I can't, well, everybody's been, all her friends and, and uh, family have been trying to nut out what it, what it is that's wrong, uh, whether it's a medication, doesn't, doesn't think so. And the only thing that new that's happened is these breast implants. So, you know, really there needs to be an investigation done into that. But they're so quick to um, to get in there and cut you to bits, and um, it is not the answer. I, I really don't think it's the answer. I don't. Th- I don't believe cancer is a cause. You know, they don't just sort of like arrive for no reason. For every effect, there must be a cause. It's a it's a well stated fact of metaphysics, isn't it? Metaphysics. The um, for every effect, there must be a cause. So, what has caused this? Well, Steve Kirsch would say that it's the childhood vaccines. They are responsible for, they're the drivers in neurological disorders, allergies, and um, uh, what do they call long-term disease, uh, chronic disease. He says that's what it is. He did a survey of 10,000 people, and out of that, uh, 10,000, 1,000 of them had never had a childhood vaccine. 
and their mother had never been vaccinated as well with any childhood vaccines. None of them had neurological disorders, you know, like all the crazy things that you see kids having, ADHD and all that other stuff, um, allergies and chronic diseases. None of them had it. Nothing. And so there we are. And he said that they, the um, health authorities say they're going to do you know, a, um, a, a survey or a, you know, a thorough research paper on the, um, the outcomes of vaccinated children and how well unvaccinated children do, but they've, nev- they've refused to do it. They say, oh, yeah, we must do that. You know, and 20 years down the track when they said that they were going to do it, and they've never done it, not in the States, not in Australia, not in Canada, and not here in New Zealand. Why would that be? Well, because I think they're going to find out the truth is that pharmaceutical uh, vaccines, the childhood vaccines, are the driver in these neurological conditions, chronic diseases, and allergies. And uh, but in this instance, I think it's to do with. Um, I'm just watching some birds. Just I'm just going to change the subject for a minute. They're little rat bags. I can actually see them quite clearly now. I have to check the tractor every day. They, because a full a full blown nest will be in inside the engine, and I can see what they're doing there, sitting there pooping all over my lovely tractor. And they get in. That's very easy to get into the engine area, and they go. Oh gosh, they're busy. You know, it looks like there's about three of them there, blackbirds, and uh, it's eased off a little bit. But man, they were busy last month putting their nests in. I've got one in my mill. I've got them in the barn. I haven't quite lined the barn. Once it's lined, they won't be able to get in. Rats can't get in now because that's all lined and sealed down the bottom, so we can't. We had a problem with them <laughs> last year, but that's all sorted up to the first level. But anyway, they'll get in. You've got to watch out. They apparently there's about one or two tractors every year in New Zealand. Get, um, they um, completely burnt out. Uh, if you haven't got, a, I've, we've got a fire extinguisher on our, our tractor. Oh, yeah, I can see them. They're going in and out. They're taking their uh, material in to build their nest. And I'll have to go down there. And before you just got to get into the habit of just before you start that tractor. And it's the same with the farm trucks. Anything, and boy, they get in there. And if if they lay their nest on top of the manifold, that heats up, of course. And then it all catches fire. And the next thing you know, you've got a fire, and it melts through the hoses and stuff. And then you've got diesel <laughs> everywhere and oil, and uh, and then you lose your tractor. And you know, a good tractor's worth you know some of them half a million dollars or more. Uh, you know, you don't buy much for under $100,000 these days. And so, uh, yeah, have a fire extinguisher on board. But the best thing to do is just to check. First thing I do every morning is check the oil. You never know. You just never know. Check the oil and open up the top and have a look and see if there's any nests in there. And uh, every morning so far, uh, I, I the tractor was sitting laid up there for about a week. Man, did I have a job getting that bird's, those birds' nests out. Some of them had eggs in them. <laughs> Oh, they've been laying eggs um, near the chicken house in the weirdest places. Um, I actually used some of the nesting uh, for the... I just pulled it out and used some of the the wild bird nesting for uh, the chickens, actually. Saved me putting straw in, saving on money. So it's, in a way, it's quite good. But, uh, yeah, everything. Oh, vehicles are full of them. I drove all the way into town the other day, and I had a big bird's nest in there when I got there. Luckily, it wasn't near the manifold. But, boy, it could have been. So that was... That was very lucky. So, yeah, every day I just check to make sure that there are no uh, bird's nests. Now, I forgot what I was talking about before I got rudely interrupted by watching these birds, which are just making a job for me. Uh, so as soon as I finished here, after 8 o'clock, we'll, um, I'll get all the recordings up. So if, you, um, if you've missed, if you've come in late or you've missed uh, or you want to hear uh, something terrible that I've said, 
uh, earlier in the week. You just go over to... Um, um, well, I'd like you to go to Podbean, if you wouldn't mind, and f- um, following me on Podbean. Uh, yeah, it's free there. Just sign up with Podbean. And then you get, um, once you follow, you'll get a, I think we've got about, it says 2,000, then over there it says two and a half, when I get in it says two and a half thousand, it's hard to tell, somewhere between two and two and a half thousand, but we have a lot of people follow us on Spotify and all, we're on all of the others except for iHeart, um, even we're on um, Apple Podcasts as well, so you just choose your favourite and you should find us, look up under Liberty NZ, which is why we're going to change the name of the radio station away from the wireless, we started that in 2007. We're a country station in Central Hawke's Bay, um, broadcasting out of Dingo Flat there in Central Hawke's Bay. And then um, everything sort of got put on hold there for a while. And uh, when I came back, back to look at starting my radio station again, um, lo and behold, Mungawai, someone in Mungawai is uh, uh, using the wireless, using that name. So anyway, I thought, oh, stop it. You know, and Mary Jane had done all these wonderful um, station IDs for me. But anyway, it seems that using Fiverr, uh, that's uh, F-I-V-E-R-R.com, Fiverr. I can get some pretty pretty slick uh, radio imaging done, jingles and voiceovers, and, you know, they do sports and um, weather and, you know, news and, you know, sort of the intros and all that sort of stuff. And uh, the, the disc jockey, um, you know, IDs, you know, oh, this is Grant Edwards in the breakfast, you know, saying terrible things. And... Uh, so it's quite good at 250 pounds, which I think is fa- fabulous. And as the guy said, gosh, it'll last you 20 years. But um, I will probably get a smaller package and spend a bit less than that because I'm pensioner. <laughs> I'm not quite a pensioner, but you're getting that way. Semi-retired. And um, and I'll probably want to add some other things to it you know, in the new year. So I probably won't go for the whole shooting box. I'll just ease him because I want him to do some other work for me. But yeah, I found this guy in the UK. got a lovely British accent. You know, it's not too, it's just a good, you know, broadcasting British accent. And the reason why I chose British instead of the American ones or um, Australian ones or, um, I mean, I couldn't find any New Zealanders there. They should be, and I'm encouraging people to get onto it because it's a worldwide market. You can, uh, because a lot of people are struggling uh, to get voice work here, radio people, and that's because they go through agencies and the agencies have their pets and people are paying crazy money, you know, because there's only just a handful that are getting all the work. But so you just go on Fiverr and you'll pick up work. Um, it's pretty good. And it might, you know, start off low and work your way up. And then there's other ones you can join as well, apparently. And they've got, you know, there's room for you with to do writing, uh, voiceover work. Uh, if you want to write scripts, you want to do radio ads, you can, um, you can do television uh, all sorts and you know most of the people now they all have their own studios really quite flash some of them and others who have got fantastic sounding voices they do it under the duvet you know they take the microphone in under the duvet and do it to get the right sound that's how you know some of them started out like that so you don't need a lot of money if if some of you out there think oh gosh I wouldn't mind doing voiceovers or reading stories you know doing podcasts that sort of thing maybe doing intros for podcasts or reading someone's book I know that um, Dennis Hall's written a book. Uh, what's it called? The um, Unrepentant Sinner or something like that. I can't remember the name of it. But he's got this book there. You can get that on Kindle, and he'd like someone to read that. And, I, and my reading ability is not good enough to be able to do that. So you need to be quite good at it. And so you could put yourself out, and you could read, um, you know, do the audio for some books out there. And uh, they're just looking for just you know people that can speak reasonably well. 
Um, I don't think they're looking for the hi, the boss jock, you know, that sort of thing. I think that's all sort of going out the door now. People aren't really in. Um, advertisers uh, just want real, you know, everyday sounding people, I think. They don't really want the hi, you know, and sort of like the real the boss jock type thing. I think that's a thing of the past. But um, I did, if you're a writer, um, you know, or you want to, there's so many things you can do on Fiverr. Not just, I'm just looking at just the radio and TV side of it, just the, just that side. There's so many other things you can do. So I think it's great. And it's sort of like level entry for for you as well. And I'm not sure what the figures are, how much money Fiverr take, but I'm sure they'd have to take a little bit. But it's very professional. It's all done. This guy got back to me within just a few hours. I still haven't got back to him yet. He doesn't know he's got the job. But... Um, uh, and then there's um, some really nice sounding female UK voices as well, and um, you know, and some of them just sound like regular people, and I I think that's great. So I might sort of chop and change and introduce all sorts of new things into the program as well. But it's getting a bit boring, isn't it? Just hearing the same old voice, a beautiful voice. And I sent a couple of samples over to him. He said, "Gosh, that woman has got a very nice voice, and she is very professional." And that is, of course, the the voice of Vodafone. What, what do they call it now? One New Zealand, that is Mary Jane Tamazi, and I was lucky enough to have Mary Jane and my brother visiting the uh, my studio back all oh, back in two thousand and seven or two thousand and eight, and Mary Jane says she just we were just having breakfast, and then she says, "Come on, I'll do your station IDs for you." Plus, she did all my country biographies for me. Didn't ask her to; she just did that out of the goodness of her heart. And something like that, the amount of time she spent was unbelievably good. She just a one read, just quickly reads through. She doesn't have to pre-read or do takes one after the other. It's just instant. So I guess, you know, even they charge a lot of money. Well, she does. She charges a lot of money. More than I could ever afford. (laughs) Boy. But um, very, very good. And, um, you know, just very, it's very quick. And uh, so, yeah, wonderful, wonderful sounding voice. And she was the newsreader for, um, uh, I think it was, oh, I can't remember the names now. Who was it? The last one she was with. Anyway, and I first met Mary Jane back when I worked for Radio New Zealand. I was with ZM, and um, that was just at the changeover back in 1988 or 89, I think it was, when Mary Jane came from the South Island, came up to Auckland. And I was Mark Bennett's producer in the breakfast show. Mark Bennett did the breakfast for the new station, which was the new classic hits then. We were ZM FM uh, before we changed over. And um, Mary Jane was the newsreader. Now, she was based in Durham Street in the building that they had there. That's all been pulled down. That was an Art Deco building. So Mary Jane was there. And, um, oh, we had some other, oh, the wonderful Peter Everett. Um, we had Murray Forgey, one of the best newsreaders I've ever heard in my life. He's just fantastic. Murray Forgey. And who else was there? Quite a number of them. One of my favourite, favourite newsreaders would have to be Grant Walker. I, I think he's probably the, the best in the country, really. And I think he's helping a young talent come through. And he was a restaurateur there for a while as well in Wellington, had a very very nice restaurant. He's a real entrepreneur, businessman. And um, so, yeah, you want So we were lucky, actually, when we were at Radio New Zealand. We had some fantastic people. We had David England. He was our speech executive. And I just wondered the other day, I wonder if he's still alive. He was getting... I think he was probably in his late 50s when I was there 35 years ago more more than 35 years ago when I was there uh, and then we had Keith McIntyre in Wellington and uh, we were very lucky we got some really good training Radio New Zealand training I mean just every week you go and take your take your ear checks in and they go over it and say oh, you can't do this you know, you're not allowed to do that and um, you know you, you hear yourself repeating the same old stuff 
I mean, gosh, I'd be great if I had a, someone like that now. Gosh, the mistakes I make, terrible. But um, always wanted to be a newsreader, but I just don't. I just don't have the concentration. And because I, I do believe I was vaccine injured when I was young, my parents said that you, you just kind of stopped asking questions and you were just a different child after you had this dose of vaccines. And um, and so, you know, I definitely remember not being able to think properly. And so I started to, to develop a, a learning disability and brought on by the childhood vaccines. And um, so, and I had that all the way through my life. And so even though I did so much work trying to get myself to be able to read, I just wasn't be, I wasn't able to concentrate and to be able to read at that the level that you that's required to be a proficient uh, newsreader. Sometimes I have sort of spurts of being able to do it, and then I just sort of lose concentration. I just don't see. I'm, I'm working at it, trying to get myself back to a standard where, because sooner or later I'm going to have to stop doing physical work. You know, I'm getting on, and it would be quite nice if I could do do something like that. Of course, I have to behave myself if I got a job in radio. Gosh, I don't know if I could handle it. You wouldn't be able to say anything, would you? You have to be just sort of Mr. Goody Two Shoes, and it's quite boring. <laughs> you know, I'd be fired if, if honestly, um, I'd last five minutes. I mean, there's probably people out there that probably said, "Oh, we'd like to have you on our station." And then they listen for a while, and they go, "Oh, no, we can't have him. Gosh, he's he's anti-gay." But I'm not anti-gay. I'm not anti-homosexual. I just don't agree with it. Uh, and you know, always um, this. He talks about Jesus all the time talks about Christianity, shows people how to get to heaven the Bible way. He talks negatively about the Roman Catholic system of religion and all the cults. He talks, you know, everyone's in the firing line. As they did, they wrote a report on me once when I was street preaching uh, up in Poirier there. I, I did some street preaching and they caught me out. They were trying to stop me, sh- silence me, said that I was um, uh, disorderly. <laughs> of course I wasn't. <laughs> and I didn't have the money. I didn't want to spend, didn't want to waste the money. I had kids going through Education. I didn't want to waste the money going going to court. Could have won, but you know, no one's ever got the money. Um, and they said that I um, I was attacking all of the religions. Well, I did. I mean, I'm just telling the truth. You know, the Mormon Church they believe Jesus and the devil are brothers. <laughs> Hello, not not according to our Bibles. It's not. Uh, but they get the information from our own my own eye or something or some you know some oracles uh, that they were given some books that were given to old Joseph Smith or someone. Then you've got the JWs. They've put in a lot of good work, though, haven't they, going door to door? But they believe that uh, they've got a corrupt Bible called the New World Translation, and that says that Jesus is a God, uh, basically. It says in the beginning, in John chapter 1, which is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 1, it says in the um, in the good old King James Bible, which is the Bible from Antioch, heard from San Gip yesterday, told us all about that, didn't he? the Alexandrian texts and the Antiochian text. Well, the King James says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W. When the capital W is mentioned, it's referring to Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then further down it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father. It goes like that. I'm sort of paraphrasing. But the New World Translation says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God, (laughs) with a small g. So it's not God. The Bible says in First John five seven, it says uh, that there are three that bear witness in heaven: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Uh, and yet, some of the new versions they change that. So we we all go on about all the New World Translation from the Jehovah's Witnesses being corrupt. But in actual fact, uh, most of the Bibles are corrupt, except for the King James Bible. That's the only one that you can't find a provable error or contradiction in it. All the others you can. 
But anyway, so then they yeah, they get stuck into me because I you know, and then I say that the Roman Catholic Church is the the largest cult of all, uh, and but the most dangerous cult is the Seventh Day Adventists, and everybody thinks oh they're they're lovely, and they are lovely. I've got Seventh Day Adventist friends, and we argue all the time, and David loves it. He loves arguing, and some of his friends that are in the Seventh Day Adventists they can't. They've come on my podcast and gone actually ape, ape at me. <laughs> and you know they just get frustrated I'm, de- I'm terrible to argue with because then uh, especially when it's to do with the subject I know uh, because I don't back down but if I was proven to be wrong I would uh, definitely I would uh, and they in all, usually always they, re- they resort to ad hominem attacks against my character uh, in the end and people do that they do, do that when they they're basically demonstrating that they're unable or unwilling to address data negative to their position, they just so they start using ad hominem attacks on, against you. That's just a, a device. I really, I think it's quite a satanic device actually. Uh, when and and we should be taught how to argue at school. I've I always campaign on this. Children are sort of taught that arguing or debating is a bad thing. Arguing and debating is the same. It's the same thing. And arguing is a good thing. And uh, you just got to know the rules, you know. Don't change the subject when you get asked a question you can't answer. That's one device they often do. Uh, politicians are good at that. Or ad hominem, you know. Peters does it. He growls at people. Instead of answering the question, he'll come back with an ad hominem attack. And uh, you know, and they use it. It's a device which you know your opponent can use, but it's very poor. And it just shows, and then often you don't get an answer. You'll ask a question, and you're waiting for the answer. They give you an answer, but it's not an answer to the question you've asked. That's another device that people use. And so you've got to be listening and say, am I getting an answer? And then come back, now, say, and then just keep, keep going at it. And it infuriates people, and they get angry. Uh, I've got one lady there. She thinks the Jews are not the Jews. <laughs> the Jews of Israel are sort of like a, a fake conspiratorial organization. Uh, and that the 1948 uh, state of Israel was formed, and those people are wicked, evil Jews. And they, that I, I don't know if she thinks well, all the Jews in Israel. Gosh, you want to go and visit them? Obviously, it doesn't have any Israeli friends or Jewish friends like I do. But uh, it's just a modern form of anti-Semitism, and it's designed by the Roman Catholic Church because of their replacement theology, or they call it supersessionism. I think it is. You can look it up, replacement theology. You can look it up in Wikipedia or anywhere online. It tells you what it means. It doesn't actually specifically say that it came from the Roman Catholic Church, but I, I know, I know that it does. I've done a lot of research on this. Uh, that the Roman Catholic Church, they believe they are Israel. They are spiritual Israel. That the church now is, and of course, the uh, funny Christians that don't know their Bible very well, they 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 don't realise that it's a Roman Catholic doctrine, replacement theology, and so they pick it up and run with it, thinking that the church means oh that's us the the Christians, but no, it actually is the Catholic Church, which is the enemy of the Lord's people, is a counterfeit Christianity. You you won't find any Roman Catholicism going on in the Bible. <laughs> they didn't they didn't run Peter didn't run around with a cross. Peter had wives, so he wasn't you know. He wasn't a good um, pope. He wasn't the first pope. The first pope would have been, um, what's the name? The first flippin' guy, what was he? Saw a cross. Uh, Constantine, I think, is it? Constantine? Augustine was the one that couldn't control himself, and he brought in that all people, everyone's evil, born evil. <laughs> Contrary to the King James Bible, which doesn't teach anything of the sort. But anyway, so we're getting into religious, a bit of an exegesis here, and I better not. So it's two minutes to eight. We're going to have TNT Radio News at eight. I'll just do a, a refresh now very quickly and um, I'll play a little something for you while we're waiting and then we'll come back 
and uh, I'll find out what's happening with the news. Now, this is Golda Meyer. She was a former Palestinian, uh, well, you wouldn't call that. She was Israeli um, prime minister from 1969 to 1974. She goes, I'm a Palestinian. Um, But she said there were no Palestinians in 1921 when she was there. There were Jews there well before 1948 as well. And as Netanyahu said, a lot of them were ousted. A lot of the Jewish people lost their properties, uh, all, you know, mainly not so much from the Romans, but all, but mainly from the Ottomans when they came in, the, the Muslims, but also in the resettling of Jews that came from Europe and all over the, all over the world came in to settle. Uh, a lot of Jews lived there, lost their properties. They had to give them up. So, you know, so this is Golda Meyer. Have a listen to her. Speaks a lot of sense. She's a wonderful lady. Kind of like, she reminds me of a Ruth from the Bible. What difference is there? between Arabs who were on this side of the Jordan and the other side of the Jordan, Arabs in the East Bank and the uh, West of the border of the West Bank. I mean, where, when were Palestinians born? What was, all, what was all this area before the First World War? When Britain got the mandate over Palestine, what was Palestine then? Palestine was then the area between the Mediterranean and the Iraqian border. You say there is no such thing as East a and West Bank? No. East and West Bank was Palestine. I'm a Palestinian. From 21 until 48, I carried a Palestinian passport. There was no such thing in this area as Jews and Arabs and Palestinians. There were Jews and Arabs. of this hour go to episodes at tntradio.live now tnt radio news for tnt radio news this is james o'neill three people are dead and 11 others are wounded after two hamas terrorists opened fire on people at a bus station near jerusalem thursday morning police responded to the Givat shal junction on the outskirts of jerusalem at around 7:40 a.m local time after two palestinians arrived at the area in an armed vehicle and began shooting in the direction of civilians at a bus station. The two shooters, who were from East Jerusalem, were shot and killed by Israel Defense Forces soldiers in the area and a civilian. Israeli media said the shooters were brothers and associated with Hamas. A police search of the terrorist car revealed ammunition and weaponry. The 11 people wounded in the shooting have injuries ranging from moderate to severe. A U.S. Navy warship sailing in the Red Sea shot down an Iranian-made drone that officials say was launched from Yemen on November 29th. The Arleigh Burke-class guided missile destroyer USS Kearney shot down the Iranian-made drone at approximately 11 a.m. local time because it was approaching the Navy vessel near the Bab al-Mandeb Strait, a waterway that connects the Red Sea to the Gulf of Aden near the Arabian Sea. The Red Sea is a key trade route for shipping and transferring energy supplies. According to CENTCOM, the drone was launched from part of a Yemen controlled by Iran-backed Houthi rebels who've recently waded into the ongoing Israel-Hamas conflict. Earlier this month, claiming to have launched ballistic missiles and one-way drones in the direction of Israel. The USS Kearney was escorting a military sealift command, fast combat support ship, and another vessel carrying military equipment and crew to the region when the drone approached. There were no injuries to U.S. personnel and no damage to U.S. vessels reported following the incident. 
Wednesday's incident marks the second time in recent weeks that U.S. officials have shot down a drone in the Middle East believed to be launched by Iranian-backed rebels in Yemen. Japan has asked the United States military to ground all Osprey aircraft not engaged in emergency recovery operations following a training mission crash involving one of the aircraft. This action was a demonstration of the integrated air and missile defense architecture that we have built in the Middle East and that we are prepared to utilize whenever necessary to protect our partners and our interests in this important region. A U.S. Air Force Osprey, based in Japan, crashed into the ocean off the country's southern coast during a training mission Wednesday, killing at least one of the eight crew members. The search is still ongoing for the other seven missing crew members. At this stage, the cause of the crash has not yet been revealed. Japan's chief cabinet secretary, Hirokazu Matsuno, told reporters officials had asked the U.S. military to ground all Osprey flights in the meantime, except those involved in the search and rescue of the missing crew. German authorities said on Wednesday they've arrested two teenagers, one in North Rhine-Westphalia and one in Brandenburg, on suspicion of planning and preparing an attack on a Christmas market. North Rhine-Westphalia Interior Minister Herbert Ruhl said the two teenagers, one 15 and the other 16 years old, were arrested on suspicion of planning an attack on a Christmas market but declined to name the market in question. A source close to the matter, who declined to be named, said the 16-year-old was a Russian citizen from Chechnya. Elon Musk on Wednesday at a New York Times Deal Book Summit responded to advertisers leaving X, as well as Disney CEO Bob Iger's criticism of the company. That, and, and you're clarifying this now, um, but there's a public perception that that was part of a apology tour, if you will. That this had been said online, there was all of the criticism, there was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger today. I hope today. they stop. You hope? Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go f yourself. But go that's f yourself. Wow, that's <laughs> is that clear? From beach towels to oh, tea so towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Good on you, Elon Musk. I don't agree with the, the language, but, you know, he's right. He's right. He doesn't need money. They're trying to bribe him with money. <laughs> what, what do I need money for? He's the richest man in the world. Well, I don't know if he is, actually. But he's pretty up there, isn't he? The, the, as far as uh, income goes, he uh, certainly uh, doesn't need money. Uh, I, I, I love it. I hope he doesn't turn out to be, um, you know, not what we think he is. I hope he is actually a friend of mankind instead of an enemy like so many of them are. It's six minutes past eight, and uh, I'm actually going to do something a little bit different this morning, right after this little promo, which I'm going to play for TNT Radio, uh, to uh, for thanking them for allowing me to take their news. Uh, we'll come back and we'll hear from Philip Duncan himself uh, from weatherwatch.co.nz. A better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Okay, we are over at News Hub at the moment. Uh, no, we're not. We're at metservice.code, and we're just going to look at the extremes, and then we'll go over and hear from uh, to Weatherwatch, and we'll hear from Philip 
Duncan himself, who is the owner, I believe, the owner and director of Weather Watch, and they do a fabulous job. So we'll actually do something a little bit different this morning, but we'll look at the highs and lows and uh, just the extremes now. First of all, Napier Airport, that's the hottest temperature at the moment, 15.6 degrees. Tiano is the lowest, 6.8, and Wellington is the windiest with 31 kilometres per hour of wind going through there. The wettest place at the moment just is in, 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 out in the Chathams. They've got 10 degrees and one millimetre of rain. That's one millimetre, millimetre not millimetre, one millimetre per hour. So let's cross over now and we'll have um, Philip Duncan uh, is going to tell us what's going to be happening uh, over the the weekend and uh, leading into next week. It's November the 30th. Kia ora, hello. I'm Philip Duncan. Thanks for joining us for our final update for November. And as we head in towards December, no major changes with our weather pattern, but quite a bit going on. And in fact, longer dry spells also developing. But um, you may not believe me because this weekend kicks off with rain. So let's uh, break it down for you. So we've got this low pressure system over here in Australia, driving in a lot of rain to the southeastern corner. That is on its way towards New Zealand and it will cross over the South Island on Sunday. It will then completely fall apart. But it dumps heavy rain on the west coast and uh, gusty winds in a number of places. It's not a major storm, but it's just a little bit of severe weather coming in this weekend. And at the moment, though, high pressure south of Tasmania, which is the reason why you're getting this wet weather to the north, is encouraging a southerly flow for many parts of New Zealand, although there is a nor'easter coming down to about Christchurch, at least at the time when we recorded this. So let's have a look at this rain that is on the way. The map has not changed. Uh, We've been showing you this map every day this week, and it has not changed, uh, except one little tiny, tiny adjustment is, well, I guess that is a change, um, 100 to 125 millimetres now. It was showing 100 millimetres for the rest of the week. So the total has gone up another 25 millimetres or so just here, mostly inland from Hokitika. Otherwise, it's the usual rain band coming through, and it tapers off for those of you in the east, which I'm sure you're very, very happy to hear about. So here is Friday's setup. Couple of showers around Wided Upper and southern parts of Hawke's Bay. Won't be very much. High pressure is in control coming in over the South Island. And this low still driving in rain to the New South Wales-Victoria border. Uh, They're getting really heavy rainfall over in Australia at the moment. It's great news, actually, for the most part. Their bushfire season was about to roar into life about a month or so ago. Let's have a look at Saturday. So there is the low from Australia moving in. Northerly winds coming down. Most places are mild. Uh, and the the rain clouds build up on the west coast with that rain setting in, especially into the afternoon. By Sunday, that is all that is left over of the low. So like I say, it moves into the country, basically the Southern Alps, the North Island, New Zealand, pulling it apart. And so, uh, yes, a little bit of rain moving through. It will be patchy the further north or the further south you are. Heaviest falls right here in the middle, up to about Nelson and Mount Taranaki as well, getting a little bit of heavy rain. There will not be much over here in the east, and it stays that way into Monday as well. Like I say, it falls apart as it moves in and across the country. There's still a bit of a weak low, but it's not much for the Chatham Islands. But we've got a little bit of rain stuck up here. High pressure to the north, another high down here to the southwest. So the rain's kind of trapped in the middle. Now, some of the long-range maps show that coming in to the eastern side of Bay of Plenty and East Cape, but it's a maybe. It could still just as easily slide offshore and not really produce too much rain. There's also a southerly here coming through on Monday, moves up the South Island, gets into Wellington, 
at about lunchtime. So a temperature drop coming for you. And then we go through to Tuesday and that cold front goes up and it sort of merges with that other stuff. So that's the reason why we're saying Bay of Plenty, East Cape, there's a chance of some rain here. We are not forecasting it in for wide or southwards at this stage. So don't be too worried after the rain you've just had. I'm sure every one of you is a bit tired of hearing this sort of repetitive forecast. And we go through to Wednesday and the good news is that rain band clears away. So it sort of moves in, it smudges East Cape and then it hopefully moves off again. So for now, not a problem but worth keeping an eye on based on the rain you've been getting. Big block of high pressure here all the way out to the Indian Ocean, and that encourages windy westerlies to return to New Zealand. And the final part of the map, this low up here on the uh, edge of the Solomon Islands, dropping into the Sol Solomon Sea and then the Coral Sea. But because of this El Nino block of high pressure, very different to La Nina where this is all vacant, uh, that low may well end up being pushed over towards the top part of Queensland. So New Zealand not at a risk at this stage, but it's certainly worth keeping a close eye on because any storm that forms in the Coral Sea, in the Solomon Sea, this area, always worth keeping an eye on for our part of the world because storms naturally, when they drop down, want to pull southeast right towards us. But at this point, this far north, they often want to just keep going westwards. So for now, we'll just keep an eye on it. That's all from me. Just a reminder, no video tomorrow, Friday, sorry. Oh. Uh, we're back again on Monday. And of course, later today, our Aussie-only seven-day forecast. Have a great weekend, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you very much. And you can find Philip Duncan. You can uh, see all of this. He's got a fantastic website, far better than MetService, way, way better. And uh, Philip Duncan, he started it, and uh, I just think they're great. And so I'm going to continue to... Take those forecasts, be absolutely brilliant. And uh, you can catch them at weatherwatch.co.nz for yourself. Okay, that's my lot. It is 14 minutes past eight. Thank you very much for joining me this week. And I hope to see you, Lord willing, on Monday morning at five o'clock uh, for the Grant Edwards Breakfast. Is happy.
happy I left The other half worries I'll just forget where I came from Same place where they came from Half of my hometown Still hanging around Still talking about that one touchdown They still wearing red and black Go by cats while the other half of my hometown They all got out Some went north, some went south Still looking for a feeling Half of us ain't found So sterling, part of me Talk about that one touchdown Raise some kids in red and black Go Bobcats while the other half of my hometown Was in the crowd They knew the words They sang them loud And all I wanna do Was make them proud Cause half of me Will always be FM, the wireless.